Hello and welcome to the Ham Radio Crash Course Podcast. My name is Josh, amateur radio call sign KI6NAZ. And this is Leah, KN6NWZ. And we like to talk about ham radio, among many other things. So come along with us, won't you? Hello, Leah. How are you doing this week? I'm doing well. You're doing very well. What's What's been going on? Well, I ended up going into Anaheim today. Into Anaheim. Yes, there's an Orange County recorder's office in Anaheim. The mm-hmm. kids were born in Orange County. Yes. And I needed to get replacement birth certificates to register Edison for kindergarten. Mm-hmm. We are going to officially have two kids in elementary school. Wow. Which is amazing. <laughs> but I chose this particular recorder's office because Orange County has a number of them because it is the only one that is not surrounded by homeless encampments. Interesting. The Santa Ana, that's the main uh, recorder's office. Mm -hmm. There's a full-blown homeless encampment Oh, you're talking about in the county of Orange. Orange Right. It's around the Civic Building. Oh, wow. Okay. So the other thing is this particular office is so fast. You literally, you fill out your application online, Mm -hmm. you go in, and you go directly to a clerk. There's virtually no wait. Are there people, there's nobody like milling around waiting or anything like that? No. So the opposite of the DMV is what you're saying. Exactly. Okay. And while I was there, I went to a wedding. What? Because somebody was getting married right there. Wow. And there were just these two people who looked so giddily happy to be <laughs> at the counter. Mm-hmm. And I'm looking at them, and they, they're they looking around. They're smiling at everybody. I'm like, y- you know this is a government office, right? They pre-partied in the it's parking not, lot. I mean, it's fast, but it's not that fast. <laughs> like, this is great service. You're right. right. <laughs> I'm here for the service. And then I'm looking at I them. I get a birth certificate every month. <laughs> And I realized they're kind of overdressed. <laughs> oh, jeez. You sure? The, um, the bride is wearing a white dress, not overly frilly or anything, but she's put a denim jacket over it. Classy. To, you know, kind of tone it down mm-hmm. for the, sure, sure. the um, civil ceremony. And then her groom is in a white button down with black slacks and a blazer, mm-hmm. right? And at first I didn't think anything of it, but they were waiting for a really long time. And then finally somebody says, oh, the witness is here. <laughs> and then it all came together. Ah, yes. So I went to my first COVID wedding. Oh, sure. That's yeah. right. Yeah, yeah. And then as we were leaving, mm-hmm. uh, and we we went down to kind of check out where how all the shops were doing. There's mm-hmm. a comic book store that's uh, about a block away, and I wanted to take Ben to go check out some comic books. Mm-hmm. And as we come out, there's actually a couple that's clearly also going to get married. In the comic book store, though. No, but uh, the woman was wearing this really beautiful sari, and the man was in a tux. So people are getting COVID married. Interesting. Very cool. But everything else down that block is pretty much closed. Anything Uh that I remember liking down there is gone. And then we went to one of my favorite places, which is the Anaheim Packing House. It's, Mm -hmm. It's reminiscent, for anybody who doesn't know, 
uh, Disneyland. Most of the listeners. Well, yeah. well, Disneyland was uh, previously orange orchards. Right. And Walt Disney bought the orange orchards to bulldoze them and put in Disneyland. Great swaths of land in California was once some kind of orchard. Exactly. Avocados, oranges, grapes. So a remnant of that is the packing house. It used to be the sun-kissed packing house. It's literally a big warehouse. Very old-timey. Oh, the architecture is great. Yeah, it's super cool. But that packing house has now been converted to a food hall, which was a great place to go. Very kid-friendly. Everybody found something they liked to eat. Great bars. There were craft beers. There was a cocktail bar. You'd walk around a little bit. You could walk inside. They had like yard games out in the front that the kids like to yeah. play there was, there was actually an indoor a brewery swing across the courtyard the anaheim brewery is right yes. across the courtyard mm-hmm. very cool spot 75 so percent of it is gone <laughs> yeah that's yeah that's very sad to hear it's uh, i don't know if it's being decimated by the lack of business for the past year because of the panorama or oh. It's because maybe they can't get workers to staff it's for those hours. It's probably a combination of all of that, right? Because some those... of them look like they're still occupying their food hall space, mm-hmm. but there's just nobody working. Well, the kiosks also have a limited floor plan, so they probably can't put many people in there working at the same time. Sure. Due to state, county But I'm saying that there is nobody at yeah, the stands, yeah, right? Yeah, so, um Yeah, it's a bummer. I, I feel like we're almost living in a, I don't want to say third world country, not that severe. But mm-hmm. you know, when you hear about certain countries that are totally economically decimated, mm-hmm. and when you, or even parts of the country, like when the auto industry left Detroit, right? and you would go through and there are all these empty storefronts, it's, it's what right. it feels like. And it's never felt like that in California before. I'm I'm guessing it's like that all over. Probably I know it's worse so in some sad. Cases. But yeah, wow! What a what a great high note to kick off. Yeah, the, I'm so uh, sorry. Thank yeah, you. that's what my day was about. Yeah, so. well, that's, I mean, that's why we do that up front. So thanks again for joining us out here. We like to kick off the Ham Radio Crash Course podcast with the Ham Radio Minute. Never a minute. And today, a favorite topic of mine, and I think a favorite topic of yours as well: bags and pouches. Bags and pouches. Bags and pouches. Are we finally going to talk about me getting my purse? Yeah, I mean, if you want to put a ham radio in it, we can talk about that. I could put a ham radio in pretty much any purse. We'll have to figure out how to all. integrate the antenna into the a shoulder bell strap. A bowfang is very small. No, no, we're going to oh. integrate the antenna into the shoulder strap, and then you're going to have a, a what? remote mic you know, that, that would be able to clip on the shoulder strap so you can use the radio while you walk with the bag. What? And there'd probably be like a solar panel on the side of the bag. Maybe a battery bank inside, which is good because you never remember a battery bank. I don't know how many of them I bought for you and given them to you. Mm, It would require me to remember to then take out the battery bank. No, it would be integrated into the bag, connected to the solar charger, which would be permanently affixed to the bag. But I spend most of my time indoors. Okay, that's a fair point. (laughs) I would uh, poke a hole in the bag for a plug that you could just right in the side there. Oh, what what kind of bag are you thinking about? Something leather, expensive, something you like. We'll just go ahead and make that happen. Just solar panel right on the side. Really zhuzh it up. Oh, makes me so sad. <laughs> All right, so bags and, and pouches. I don't think it's any surprise to anybody that I have a lot of backpacks. 
sling bags, backpacks, messenger bags, whatever you want to call them. An I embarrassment have a of bags. A, I have so many bags. <laughs> Backpacking bags, everyday carry bags, office bags. A bag to hold your bags. A bag to hold bags. <laughs> There's purposes for them, though, right? Oh, it's not for you to wear them all over your body. I've got to coordinate the... my outfit. Oh, no, I meant you were going to wear all the bags at the same time. I even have this a is... jacket that turns into a bag. <laughs> not joking about that. No. It's a terrible design. So, because I, this is what I want to know about jacket bag. Okay. This is what I want to know about the jacket bag. Yes. Okay. So you're wearing the bag. You're wearing the jacket. Mm-hmm. And then you realize, I need a bag. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. So you turn it into a bag mm-hmm. and you put whatever you needed to put a bag. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. And then you're still cold <laughs> because you left the house. Well, you got to wearing pick the jacket. Up a bit. Maybe you jog or get your blood going. Then why wouldn't you just pick up the pace and warm yourself up and wear a fully functional bag. Because then you got to hold the thing you're, you're supposed to be putting in the bag. That's inconvenient. I, I, it's, I think, it's options, right? I think taking an article of clothing to turn it into a bag when you originally needed the article of clothing is more inconvenient. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What if you bought two jackets? No. And then you're wearing one and you're wearing the other one as the bag. Why? <laughs> so you could help somebody Why not out, just else carry? out if they're cold, or you could double up the jackets. Why not just wear a jacket and carry a bag, though? Do you see where I'm going with this? Because then you have to keep the bag on you. You have to always be having a bag. The you bag always do, have a bag, bag anyway. A you you EDC a bag. Mm, yeah, well, I guess we'll, we'll, we'll just agree to disagree on that. <laughs> So I like to put all my ham radio gear in pouches that are devoted to a specific task. Like, like a kangaroo. Like a little pouch that says antennas or power supply. Kangaroo antenna. Battery cables. And, you know, I label them with Sharpies and all that good stuff. But then sometimes, you know, you got to put that into something that you're going to carry around. So you have multiple different sizes of bags depending on the type of day slash mm-hmm. weekend you're going to have. Most bags have a liter rating, how many liters large the carry capacity is and then you can spec out your ham radio kit whatever it is for whatever adventure you're going on so if i'm packing a larger solar panel i may go with like a 20 liter bag so i can put the solar panel folded up inside with an appreciable size battery that would allow me to run all weekend long and then i can pack in you know like a 705 or a qrp radio possibly a laptop and then all of a sudden boom there's your whole bag And that's only radio. But it's like, okay, well, I also need to pack clothes, possibly tent, you know, backpacking stuff. So now you have two bags. Now you have, well, I have done this before, (laughs) but that's when I have to like live stream too. So that's when you step up to like a 30 or 40 liter bag so that you can pack everything in. But if it's just like going around town doing whatever and you want to carry, you know, like a first aid kit, a water bottle, have a handy talkie on the strap with a little loop. And then maybe have a small QRP radio inside with a small battery, small antenna, that kind of stuff. Then that packs up easily in a 10-liter, 20-liter bag without much problem. I have a hard time visualizing what a 10-liter or 20-liter bag is because I don't put liquids in my bags, (laughs) you know? (laughs) Okay. I'm I'm trying to think of what the best way. Like, are you saying a 10-liter bag fits Five two liters is one mm-hmm. okay. 
it's just a real no, not a like, real not, weird not, way to envision. <laughs> so yes, it it holds five two liters, but the trick is you have to dump them in the bag. <laughs> Because the bag is not the shape of five <laughs> two-liter bottles. Okay. I like to think of a KFC chicken bucket okay. full of KFC gravy. Oh, that no. poured in the bag. That's okay. about, that's about mm, three liters or so. So it's okay. a lot of gravy. So you go to REI. <laughs> How much KFC gravy can I put in this bad boy? And you're trying out bags. Mm-hmm. And you're just dumping water in these things. Yeah. How will I know? <laughs> sir, what are you doing? Sir. <laughs> no, sir, yourself. <laughs> this bag claims to be 20 liters, and we're going to find out right now. <laughs> sir. Sir, that is not a waterproof bag. <laughs> it's just leaking. Yeah, just everywhere. <laughs> sir, you can't take the merchandise in the bathroom. How will I test? <laughs> Well, that's a hammering of a minute. That was the longest one we've done in a long time. Again, thanks, everybody, for coming out and listening. Join the conversation by leaving a review over on iTunes for the Ham Radio Crash Course podcast, and then we'll have the link in the description for that. Or you can always go to hamradiocrashcourse.com, which is all of our links, all of our affiliate codes, upcoming events, Leia's blog, the Ham Tactical merch store, you name it, it's all there. Oh, man, I haven't written for that blog in a long mm-hmm. time. Or, or updated merch. we got to talk about that. <laughs> and or emailing us at leahathamtactical.com. And you can leave uh, you know, a comment if you have a question, if you have a merch idea. We will take your merch ideas. If we make it, you'll get one for free. So thanks for doing that. With that said, let me go ahead and jump right into the reviews that we got this week. Thanks so much to everybody again, for reviewing us over on the iTunes. Again, we just choose iTunes because it's easy, and it's kind of the uh, benchmark for podcasts. If that were to change, then we would change. You know, I think the reality is that there's not another podcast service with the transparency Mm -hmm. that iTunes does. And say what you will about Apple. I know I appreciate there's people that don't like Apple. And there's things they do I don't like. But their iTunes platform, and you can access this online, very simple to use. You just search for the podcast you're looking for, and it has actually a pretty nice display for what's you know what the what the podcast is. So, best ham radio podcast. Even my wife likes it. Yay! From Bob K six twenty four. My favorite podcast of all the ham radio podcasts out there. They talk about everything from ham radio stuff to regular people things. Me and my wife are EMTs. Wow, that's a both well, of thank you, are EMTs. you. Yeah, thanks for getting out there and helping people. While we drive to go volunteer, we listen to the podcast, and now, when I watch the YouTube live stream, my wife says, oh, it's Leia's podcast host, or co-host. <laughs> Love the show. Well, thank you very much, Bob. Appreciate that. Thank you, Bob's wife. And thank you, Bob's <laughs> wife. Good pod from Dome Row. I enjoy this podcast. Funny and informative. If you are expecting a deep dive in the ham weeds, this pro- podcast isn't for you, which... I don't think we make any uh, yes. disagreement to that <laughs> <Yeah>. argument. <laughs> it's fun to listen to you guys talk about your day-to-day lives with a little ham sprinkled in. And you know what? Everybody should be so lucky to have a little ham sprinkled on their day. <laughs> Thank you so much, Domro. Your life should be like a chef salad. <laughs> <laughs> Sprinkle a little ham on it. 
Okay, we got Cat Cups, Chili, and Radios, Oh My, which I think somebody has used that title before, but I know that I haven't read this comment. This is from PRS Pastor. Seriously love this podcast. They put the fun back in amateur radio. No grumpy old guys here that will bore you to death or yell at you for not doing something they <laughs> the way they the way it was 50 years ago. Who has the time for that? This is ham radio life for the 21st century. Lots of fun, laughs, and preparedness tips built in. Want to study for your, and then the comment is gone. Oh, <laughs> so it just cut out. Okay, so well, thank you, thank you, PRS Pastor. I it's probably iTunes fault that that got cut off. I'm sorry about that. Okay, thanks again for your reviews. We really appreciate it. So, what are we using or have been using this week? Um, I just posted a video on my Peak Design bag, my Peak Design Traveler. And after Ooh. talking, the reason why I had the Ham Radio Minute on bags is because that's the bag that I'm loading up for an event that's coming up pretty soon. Right. I love this bag. We have mentioned Peak Design multiple times on the podcast, and I've definitely mentioned it on my live streams and YouTube videos. Peak Design is first and foremost a camera bag company. But I think if we sold them short and said that this is just a camera bag, I think it would it would really underserve what they're doing. The bags are super high quality. Um, they easily integrate with ham radio. Their divider systems can be moved around with the Velcro restrainers. Easily, easily, easily do whatever you want for whatever you plan on doing out in the field. A couple of points to note, and I didn't mention this the last time we mentioned Peak Design. They're not cheap. I get that. They're not cheap. No, they're not. They are guaranteed for life. What? Guaranteed for life. So to me, I'd rather buy uh, one bag. I am really big on the buy once for life. Right. So yeah, I I, I would recommend, and, and I am going to say I am an affiliate because I am. I've been recommending these uh, this company well before I did the Hammer Your Crash Course for the type of bags they have. Go take a look at their stuff. They're not too heavy that you couldn't go outdoors for like a poda with them. They're definitely good for traveling. They're definitely good for camera folks. They're definitely good for ham radio as well. Well, we'll I mean, if you think about it, if mm. it is pad enough and robust enough mm. for camera equipment. Which arguably is more sensitive with the glass components and the highly right. sensitive servos and whatnot. Then and it'll handle any electronics. Mm -hmm. Right? That is a great argument. Yeah. I actually have two Peak Design bags. I used one for my baby bag for a very long time yes. because the tote actually, <laughs> for all the moms out there, this is pretty amazing. The tote is accessible in a way that you can open each side and it has like a handle pull down. So you're not oh, it's one really of those U zippers. Right. You can take two zippers down at one time and then you can like, and it's, it's like a, a stacked system. The tote is like stacked vertically. Uh, yeah, you can use the dividers to make two separate compartments mm -hmm. that align with the two-sided zippers. Yeah. So you can you can kind of store something on one side and you won't have to open the top. Right. And then you can do the uh, same thing with the other side. But then the bag could go from a tote to a backpack. Yeah, the, the one side will slip up. The, yes. the handle will slip up and become mm -hmm. backpack straps. Which I is use that for so... Incredibly useful. Yeah. Incredibly useful. I actually, I had a designer baby bag that I really wanted. It was my push gift. And then 
I want to say there's a term we haven't I haven't heard in a long time. My the, push gift. Yeah, the, the the gift you're supposed to give a mother when she gives birth, right? For pushing the baby out. Yeah. <laughs> How to break that term down because I think there's some people that don't know what that is. But I ended up not using that bag later because right. I got the yes. Peak Design bag. I That's liked right. it that much. Yeah. So imagine that the baby bag that was designed for babies. The camera bag was still a better option. Because, yeah. <laughs> again, it's so versatile. when you shove your baby in the camera yeah. bag, it's padded, it's soft. <laughs> Cameras are so, they're more sensitive than babies. So if it's good enough for a camera, it's good enough for your baby. That's that not what is I not made by baby wearing. Don't do that. I am joking. I could wear the baby on my front and then the Peak Design bag in backpack mode on my back. You definitely which have is done something that. I did. A yeah, lot. so take a look on the website. Take the link in the the video or video, geez, the podcast description, and uh, it is my affiliate code. And if you do go there, uh, it does help the uh, the podcast out. And we thank you very much. Yes. Leah, do you have a preparedness <clears throat> corner for us today? Oh, do I? Oh, 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 okay. <laughs> so I was talking a ton before about food storage for cans and canning. And yes. then I quickly realized one of the better ways to preserve food, if you're going to do it, you know, past the one year mark, mm-hmm. is freeze drying or dehydrating okay and dehydrating is really accessible right it's right? just a really low powered oven right i mean you can even dehydrate in your oven sure if it goes low enough yeah well i mean if you're if you're looking at it even asian countries um one of the traditional ways you dehydrate something is you would throw everything on kind of a flat basket like the baskets that look like large dishes yeah. yep and you would just slice everything kind of thin, prep mm-hmm. everything, put it on, and then you'd set that up on your roof sure, to dry. Or I mean, that's how they used to do beef jerky too, right? Right. So dehydrating, very accessible, mm-hmm. uh, and it takes up less space. But then I learned about freeze drying, which is not as accessible, I would argue. Because sure. it's the gear is the, much more expensive. Yeah, I would say over two thousand dollars for oh a device. Oh my gosh! Yeah, I mean, because there's, I think, vacuuming involved and temperature variation. Well, I mean, eventually you would have to take the freeze dried <sighs> good and put it into a vacuum bag. No, right? I think there's actually a vacuuming of moisture or something. Oh, like that. that makes sense. Yeah. Okay. For it too. Uh, and the reason I got into looking at freeze drying is because there is a new trend for freeze drying candy. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> you, and where are you watching this, Leah? On TikTok. On TikTok. <laughs> and there's this world-renowned chef, Jose Andres, who, you know, Michelin star. He does the molecular gastronomy, culinary science experiment kind of things. Mm-hmm. And he ran... Uh, one of the world's best restaurants for a long time. So I follow him on TikTok, and he's always doing crazy things. Sure. And one of the most recent crazy things he did was freeze-dry gummy bears. Yes. And, and I thought that was me. amazing. And just to, to, describe it, to describe it a little bit, the gummy bears actually expand considerably, and they kind of like explode a bit. Yeah, like they make they little bombs of sugar. Yeah, because it's like it takes all the moisture out. Right. And makes it crispy, crunchy kind of taste to it. 
So here is the thing with freeze-dried foods, though. They rehydrate faster than dehydrated food, and they retain their original like flavor and color and texture better than if you dehydrate. Sure, okay. And they last longer than dehydrating because dehydrating doesn't actually remove all right. of the Right, because at some point it's going to like seal the moisture in. Right. Once the membranes of the cells as they tighten up, like it closes so, down around it. How much longer though? Do you have like a number? I, um, I don't know. I think it depends on the item. Okay. But, but is it considerable? I think so. Okay. Yeah. Uh, so my question, and I know there are quite a few preppers um, and farm folk, right, and farm gardeners yes. who listen to the podcast. I like to know are, how are you preserving your food because you know we're headed into summer, and then you're going to have harvest season, mm-hmm. and most of us are going to end up with more vegetables than we're going to eat in <laughs> in that season, right? Mm-hmm. How do you store your food that you've grown so that you can eat it all year round or past a year if you're prepping? Hmm. And that's the preparedness corner. Take a look at freeze drying. Oh, very good. Okay. All right. Well, that means it's time for the email correspondence tower. Okay. You can roll right in from prepper talk to, uh, to emails. So I'm going to have to preface this entire conversation by letting some people down. Mm. There may be people this week trying to make it to last email Mm. so they can be the correspondent that kicks off the test segment. Mm -hmm. We are recording on a Tuesday. Yes. Normally we record on a Thursday. Yes. And I already screwed up the show because we do the drink uh, segment. So we'll have to come back around to the drinks. Why don't, why don't we do them now? Okay, let's do them now. Okay. And then you can go back to your apology. Fantastic. Okay, oh, so, it wasn't an apology. Oh, okay. It was a... We got to do this. We'll, yes. we'll talk a little <laughs> bit about it. So this is the Lost Coast Brewery Imperial Stout Reserve. Ooh. This is a 10%. Lost Coast, I've never seen really anything... Um, I, I've had plenty of Lost Coast, but I've never seen them do something like this, so... Lost Coast is out of Eureka, California. Mm -hmm. And the Lost Coast Imperial Stout is described as, Our Imperial Stout has a rich malty flavor with hints of chocolate, coffee, caramel, burnt sugar, and raisins. It is moderately hopped with magnum and sazz to improve balance. And it's 10% alcohol by volume. I get the malt, I get the burnt sugar, and I get a smoky character out of it very smoky the nose is really nice yeah it's <clears throat> it's chocolatey the nose is chocolatey it is the uh uh got a campfire beer kind of thing going mm-hmm. on like you've been smoking your beer or something like that it is the hops are really well balanced though mm-hmm. they're it's it's not very hoppy it's it's good I, I don't think it was very expensive either it was it was a relatively expensive pickup so i would recommend it if you uh, this would be uh harder this would be deeper down the rabbit hole of a stout sure this would not be the first stout i would put somebody on but you know some stouts are really in your face about the um the malt and like almost the bourbon barrel aged kind of flavor that mm-hmm. you would get off of a stout and mm-hmm. 
this is not in your face. It's really mellow. So I also picked up a four-pack of <clears throat> Wild Barrel Vice Mango Lychee Sour Berliner Weiss Beer. Ooh, sour. This is very interesting. And Take this is out of, of San Marcos. Take a sip of it, Leah. I haven't had a sour in a long time, I feel like. Yeah, so this is Wild Barrel. Oh. <laughs> That's like a a fruit punch that is not sweet. And it doesn't taste that much like beer. Yeah, it tastes more like a tea, actually. 5.2% alcohol by volume. I get strong framboise-type feelings off of this without or, without any sweetness though uh the raspberry framboise right that that one that's mm-hmm. what i'm thinking of yeah lindemans is that lindemans is that is it not lindemans framboise i don't know i don't remember this is very much like a, a framboise it is mostly the flavor that's been added to it mm. very little beer character to it it does come across as sour though it's, it does in a pleasant yeah. way. Mm-hmm. It lacks the the barnyard smell we talk about a lot, which is sometimes you get on the uh, Berliner Weiss beer mm-hmm. or Weiss beer. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, that's well what thank we're you drinking. for picking up the beers today. I did. I ran by on the way home because, again, going back to kind of our uh, our comment about this week, we are recording it early, so we will get all your emails next week. It's going to be probably a very long show. And because two, three days in there. we recorded on a Friday, mm-hmm. so we really only have Saturday, Sunday, Monday, like four days worth of emails. That's right. half of the emails. Yeah. So if you're listening to this on Friday morning and you're thinking to yourself, why did you not read my email? Where's my email? It's because you didn't send it by Tuesday this week. <laughs> uh, yeah. We, <laughs> Moving the goalposts. We're, uh, we're not changing the Thursday regular podcast schedule it's just uh because of what's going on this weekend it would not be possible to both record and edit on thursday for posting on friday morning right so still we didn't change the schedule it's just that's what happened so anyway onward with the uh email correspondence okay well the first email is titled asparagus and beer and this is from jeff oh no yeah <laughs> <laughs> What is things that make your pee smell? Uh, <laughs> what is, I'm just kidding. Coffee? It doesn't say that. Asparagus. <laughs> Leia, I have come to Ham Radio recently after being an SW listener and a beer. Right on. I passed my UK foundation in January, Congrats. but was reinterested after coming across your YouTube channel. That Yeah, that is, that is my YouTube channel. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> It's amazing the work you've put in. <laughs> I've I, never seen you edit a video. It's it, You know what? I have this really amazing camera. Okay? Yeah, yeah. Where you just record things and you don't do anything with it. And then suddenly it shows up on YouTube. Wow. Completely edited. Whoa. It's amazing. And does all the descriptions and the yeah. thumbnails and does an amazing title. I, I mean, it's a magic camera. I don't even want to tell people about it. No. Yeah, yeah you shouldn't. That's a, a gold mine. Well, yeah. you should when you start, you know, if you can market this thing and sell it. 
Yeah, but I think it only works with this camera. Mm-mm. And I was worried that I would jinx it by telling people. It's literally magic. Is what yes. You're Got yes. it. Okay. Uh-huh. And, it you doesn't know, even shoot video. I, I, I just keep it in, in Josh's ham shack. Oh. <laughs> and sometimes I hit record. Uh-huh. You know? Mm-hmm. And then the videos just populate. That's crazy. I know. <laughs> you're not even in most of the videos. I know. Jeff continues, I generally listen to your podcast a week in lieu while in the gym. Good good getting your fitness on. My grand used to make an asparagus pie similar to the following, and he's provided a link. I'll drop it in the show notes. Granddad used to have a large asparagus patch. That's so exciting. (laughs) And an asparagus patch, it's just, you know how asparagus grows? It, it's actually quite fluffy, the foliage. Okay. So if you had an asparagus patch, it would just look like a green cloud. Okay. With spears poking up in, you know, amidst an angry the cloud. Yeah. Yeah. Well, if you feel like asparagus looks angry, I think it looks. Well, you said spikes coming out of it. Spears. Asparagus Spears. spears. Oh, okay. asparagus spear. Like it's it's armed. I mean, to you that might be quite offensive because you don't like I'm asparagus. <laughs> Perhaps this pie, another suggested recipe uh, called impossibly easy ham and asparagus pie, is more appropriate. Ham and asparagus, I'm sure, is delicious since asparagus and prosciutto is fantastic. Mm, so I bet that's, that's really true. Good. People be doing that. Jeff asks, where does Josh source his beers? My brother-in-law is a brewer in the UK. Perhaps I could ship you some of his beers. Oh, man, that would be awesome. But, oh, my gosh, the shipping on that would be. Oh, yeah, don't do that. We are now very familiar with the cost of international shipping (laughs) over the past seven years of (laughs) shipping things. Because I have a friend who's in Ireland. Mm -hmm. And we would ship packages back and forth. A couple times a year. And at a certain point, I realized it would be cheaper just to order it off of Amazon and send it to her. Yeah. Than for me to buy it. Seriously. And mail it to her. I bet. Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. I go to uh, Total Wine and More in Southern California. That is such a good store. That is pretty good. They have a lot of options. <laughs> now, wait. Total they Wine and More options. is particularly special because before everything shut down, mm-hmm. one of their famous things that they would do is they had a craft beer tasting time yes. and a wine tasting time. And you could theoretically if you get there right. at the time that there was wine tasting. And right when they were closing up, you could make it over to the beer tasting. <laughs> you could do all the tastings. And they were, they were. I mean, they're not uh, over-pouring or anything like that. But the tastings were impressive. They would have like four or five wines, six in some cases. And then it was usually like a major brewery yes. or a local brewery that would come in with all their beers mm-hmm. and give you like a sample of them. It was great. And we ended up making friends with some of the guys who were pouring beers and then running to, into them at beer Brew festivals. Ho-ho. Yeah, Brew Ho Ho specifically. Yeah. That's how I have like one of the coolest cider apple wine things yeah. that I haven't opened yet. 
And because they have those connections at places like Total Wine and More and BevMo, those places get the limited edition beers Mm -hmm. that you can't really just go into the average supermarket or liquor store to buy. Right. Yeah. So there will be limited releases and stuff like that that I'm, I'm generally on the lookout for. Although sometimes I will just go to the local the local liquor store because they'll, they'll always have something a little odd. I found, though, that it's of generally lower quality in some cases. Like it's cheaper stuff. It's generally like cheaper, cheaper beers, which kind of makes sense because if it's just like a corner liquor store. You know, I don't see that there's anything wrong. No, I don't either. That at all. I I think we've come to a point where craft beers have gotten so expensive on a certain end mm-hmm. that it's competing with collectible wine. <laughs> it's, it's gotten to that point. Definitely. And that's not what I like about beer. I like beer because you can crack it open, drink it, and it's, it's a, you can taste what the brewer meant to do. Right. And it's just not too serious. It's not meant to really be aged. Yeah. Anything complex like that. It's just something you pick up. And, and it's drink. not stuffy, right? Right. Generally. Yeah. So I actually don't like kind of the moving into the snootier kind of things. Though I know, and no offense to anybody who's really into that, we have quite a few friends who <laughs> are really into collecting all of the limited edition beers and we really appreciate when they share it with us. But for me, it doesn't have to be that. Yeah, I agree. So yeah, so Josh says liquor stores, Total Wine and More, BevMo. Oh, and Trader Joe's. This is major chain across the United States. Mm -hmm. They source a lot of really good beers from local breweries to wherever they're at, too. Yes, which is always nice. Buy local, particularly for beer. So Jeff continues, my wife says, has to be Vegemite. She's Australian. And this is reference to when we had the Vegemite versus Marmite debate. Don't know. You'll watch YouTube videos of Australians that say they prefer Marmite. Since that conversation, I think I have had a Vegemite toast every day. I'm wow. out of oh, Vegemite. It's literally, I'm literally, yeah. there's a jar on the counter and I see it. <laughs> I think I am out of Vegemite and I might have to go to Marmite. Wow. Because Marmite is what I have left. Got it. Yeah. Okay. Jeff signs off, 73, and his call is M7GEF. I mean, thank Marmite, you so much, Jeff. Marmite never got a mention in a Minute Work song. So, no, oh, yes. So, you know, hey, mm. there's, there's that. But, I mean, Vegemite tastes better. So. <laughs> tastes better. Okay. All right. I may have to try them side by side to, to tell. I thought we did that. No? Uh, you probably did it, but I don't know that I got any of it. Fair enough. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Are you ready to take the, uh, the Pepsi challenge for Marmite and Vegemite? Can you tell the difference? I can tell the difference between Pepsi and Coke pretty easily. Well, everybody says that, but... Okay. Could you do the, tell the difference between Marmite and Vegemite? I think I could. Oh, okay. Maybe we'll After having eaten Vegemite every day <laughs> for the past, I don't know how long. Okay, okay. It's just an umami bomb. I love it so much. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it is. That's true. 
The next email is titled Airport Codes, and this is from Bryson. Okay. So last week, yes. I already knew after the podcast was recorded that I had messed up the airport code. <laughs> there was somebody whose call sign ended in SNF, and I said that was the Santa Ana Airport. Okay. Well, it you is, did it. It is not the Santa Ana Airport, mm-hmm. and I'm glad that Bryson is giving me a chance to come back <laughs> and clarify this. Hi, Leia and Josh. I was listening to this week's podcast and just wanted to throw a correction out there. You mentioned that SNF is an airport code for Santa Ana. You were close, but one letter off. Santa Ana is SNA. Yes, it is SNA. Wow, that makes a lot of sense. (laughs) Yes, I think you could have also have it confused with Sacramento, which is SMF, also a letter off. And since I know you're probably wondering, SMF stands for Sacramento Metropolitan Field, the original name for the airport. Hmm. Fun fact, I actually used to, in my early 20s, when I did uh, government funding work, Mm -hmm. I flew into Sacramento at least twice a month, once to twice a month. Mm -hmm. I would hop on a plane in the morning and then fly back at night. Oh. That's a dumb commute. That's a horrible <laughs> commute. Man, you couldn't even stay over? Like, they wouldn't even have you stay over? You no, because just... I have to go to work the next morning in the office in Southern California. Oh, my gosh. I was just up there for uh, state allocation board meetings and things like that. So, uh, so I am familiar with SMF. There is an SNF mm-hmm. airport, and okay. I want to say it's San Felipe. Which you've probably been to. I have not been to San Felipe. Oh, okay. <laughs> that was just me confusing SNA for SNF. Okay. Still loving the podcast, and this is my contribution to making it longer. Bryson N7HNL. What if he said, love the podcast, but once you screwed up that airport code, <laughs> I am no longer going to listen to this trash ever again. You know, and I'd understand because I think you come here for accuracy for booking your flights. That's <laughs> that's true. P.S. HNL is the airport code for Honolulu, where I was born and raised, but not licensed. Long story short, if you're not living in Hawaii, you can't get a KH six slash seven call sign. That so is that true. was the closest I could get. That is true. Wow. Yeah, you can't get that call sign without living in California or um, Hawaii. Well, congratulations on getting HNL. I don't even think you can petition for that. You might be able to, but I don't know. That seems like something where people get pissed off. So, Bryson, I have a question for you. How do you feel about the uh, Mark Zuckerberg Mark Zuckerberg purchase of additional Hawaiian wildlife lands? As somebody who was born and raised in... Is he buying it in Oahu or the Big Island? Uh, I'm not sure, but it's the second or third major purchase of land he's made in Hawaii, despite protests for him not to do that. Oh, wow. Because a lot of the locals take issue with the fact that land is being purchased by non-natives. By Howley. Okay. All right. Thank you for your email, Bryson. Mm -hmm. The next email is titled Podcast Thoughts 
lightning questions. And this is from Drew. Leia, I want you and Josh to know that I love y'all's podcast. Thank you, you so much. Appreciate yes, that. I'm from the South, and I say y'all. Did I? I should and not now have you asked. Make that. Leia <laughs> say y'all. I started listening because I am ham curious. As a long t- time CB radio guy, I like talking on the radio, but I have never quite committed to getting a license. Still, since I have antennas in the air, I thought I might ask a question that might be enlightening to other listeners. As a sea beer, I have heard lots of lightning myths that lightning doesn't hit antennas, but rather goes out to antennas through radios from power lines being hit. That coils of coax under the antenna can prevent lightning from running down the coax and that lightning doesn't hit antennas, it hits its towers. Josh, could you talk a little about lightning antennas and what really works for protection? After all, if I do get my license, I'll probably do just like I do with CB. That is, buy one that will last me a while, meaning not cheap out. As such, keeping them working will be important. Okay. So the second one, the coil of wire, the coax, mm-hmm. straight, not true. Okay. It, it doesn't, that doesn't matter. The, the thing to keep in mind is lightning will take the shortest path to ground that it can. And if that is facilitated through your tower, which has an antenna on it, your tower that's on your roof or a tree, that's generally what it'll do. I am not a scientist in this area. Um, I don't know the, the true true on lightning. The general thing to keep in mind, though, is you gotta ground all the things. So if you have a tower, you need to use flat strap to go from that tower to a ground rod that is as close to adjacent to the tower as possible. Often people will use multiple ground rods of the eight feet variety, eight to Mm -hmm. 10 feet, driven straight into the ground. Some people will do multiple ground rods per leg of the tower, particularly if they live in an area that has a lot of lightning. And the reason for that is simply to give the lightning a path to get to ground without going down the coax and frying um, the radios. Right. With that said, again, this is personal experience, me retelling stories that I've heard from people. When people have gotten direct strikes or near direct strikes, like a tree that's adjacent to their antenna or whatnot, generally what's ever connected to the antenna and the coax is dead. It, mm-hmm. it kills it. Callum, DX commander, had a lightning strike where he lost a lot of uh, expensive equipment. The rule of thumb is if you live in an area that has lightning and it happens often, disconnect your equipment from coax. After every use? Well, if you don't know when the rains or if a storm's coming and you're not going to be there or anything like that, yeah, disconnect it. Just just disconnect it. That's the best that's the best thing to keep in mind. And it needs to be physically disconnected. It can't be some switch or something like that. Well, it could, but lightning's pretty powerful. And just because you turned a switch to its ground setting, that doesn't mean that the lightning won't jump between mm-hmm. to another one of the feeds and go through your radio, whatever you care about, and uh, and get to ground that way through the equipment, meaning you're, you're, you're toasting it. You're totally frying it. There's stories, and again, this is a story, of after doing the whole disconnecting the coax that the coax like got hit 
and actually like kicked around the garage and like hit things and broke it and stuff like that. What? Another big myth. People say, so if you want to prevent that, put the coax, the end, in an empty glass jar. Okay. Not true either. Don't listen to that. The jar doesn't do anything. It's what not, is it, What would be the science behind that? It's an insulator. <laughs> okay. All right. It's just not, you just weren't using a big enough jar. I recommend a beer carboy, like a five-gallon <laughs> model. No, none of that's going to work. There are so many, and I'm not throwing any shade at CB because ham radio has got a lot of like myths too associated with it, but there are a lot of myths in CB that don't bear a lot of water or hold a lot of water. The lightning myths are a little... Um, they, do they who, require a myth buster? Is, <laughs> how do you test that though? Like you have to go find somebody that creates lightning. We're going to have to go contact Adam Savage. Yeah, we're going to have to get the myth busters involved. <laughs> we're going to reassemble the myth busters and, and, and do this to the myth. I think. Did Grant Amahara die? Yeah, he died. Oh, forget it. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. Let's not contact the myth busters anymore. They've already lost too much. Yeah. No, that's true. <laughs> but so I, I, I'm. Uh, I know you were specific on your miss of, like, it doesn't hit the antenna, it hits the tower. Who cares? I mean, to be honest, it doesn't really matter, right? If it's hitting the tower, pretty much whatever's connected to it is going to get obliterated. Even with extremely good grounding, there's still a huge chance that you're going to damage the the radio connected to it. And everything else that's in your shack that's connected to that that line. So... Just disconnect the thing. So are CB antennas significantly different from ham no. radio antennas? No, but most CB antennas are vertical. They're all vertical polarized. Okay. And they're all within the uh, 11 meter frequency space. Okay. So it makes them close to the 10 meter band. Okay. Doesn't matter though. It'll it'll Lightning will fry a CB just as good as it fries a ham radio and it, it don't really care. Fair enough. Yeah. Drew signs off. Thanks again for all the entertainment. Love the chemistry y'all have. It's good for lots of laughs. 73 from a no-code, unlicensed CB operator. Yes, we CBers say 73 on sideband. Oh, yeah, they do. Yeah. That's very cool. Thanks for writing in, Drew. I hope that kind of answers your questions. The next email. I answer what I want. (laughs) The the truth is for for the true, true answer, like... It doesn't hit the grid. The lightning goes up, you know, lightning goes up, not down. All that stuff. Like, I'm not prepared to answer that. Those are science answers. Contact Neil deGrasse Tyson or something. He'll he'll, okay. he'll dive, dive in on that on TikTok or something. I don't know. Plus, it's like, I like it Google when, it, I guess. I like I it when know. Ken Burns explains things, though. <laughs> Ken Burns? Yes. The Civil War yes. historian? <laughs> Can we contact him about science questions? He's, uh, his voice is just a much more soothing answer. What about if it was a guy from Dateline? Oh, no. <laughs> oh, and then the lightning killed an entire family. <laughs> oh. What? <laughs> Who's the guy? Uh, hate, hate uh, what's his name? The, the Saturday Night Live guy that we really liked. You know who I'm talking about. The guy yeah. who does, he's super intense about Dateline. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Oh, is it Joe something? Joe? No, the Dateline host. Is it? I don't know. I don't watch Dateline. Anymore. I don't either. I never really did, but I watched. Ba- Bob. Ugh. Bob. Good. <laughs> Bill Hader. Bill, Bill Hader. Is that's that... the SNL guy. Yes, yeah. I thought yeah, that's yeah. what you were going for. And yeah, then I, I was thinking about. But then about... you started talking about the Dateline guy. And I think that his name is Jim. <laughs> 
His name is Jim. They met. They did a, a, yes. Bill Hader was pretending to be him, and then he walked in on the recording. And it was the most wholesome thing I've ever seen. <laughs> Somebody's going to tell us. Somebody's going to tell us all about the host of Dateline's name. I'm sure. But Hader does these skits where he's like, he's interviewing like victims of crimes, pretending to be the yes. guy, and he's listening. He's like, oh, and he's eating popcorn and stuff. He's super excited. It's like so funny, so dark. And Bill Hader as the host of Dateline loves the tea. Yeah, seriously. Okay. The next email is titled "The Use of Extension Cords." And if you don't remember, last week, the preparedness corner Mm. was about preventing electrical fires inside the home. Okay. And I knew you would have many objections (laughs) to... I did. ...the advice that was being put out about what is safe and not safe. But I'm I'm sure that there is an electrician that's going to give the code. Well... Who's going to correct me? Paul writes in, Leia... (laughs) Happy Mother's Day, and I want to first thank you, Josh, and all of the ham radio YouTubers for helping me find more excitement in the hobby. Well, thank you, Paul. Thank you. I appreciate the Happy Mother's Day wishes. I started as a novice in 1988 at 13 years old. Good for you. And was very active through high school. Once I started in paramedic school and traveled around the country working as a paramedic, I always had a radio, but was just not as active within the ham community. 12 years ago, I finally upgraded to general could never get above 11 words per minute code to pass the 13 words per minute before they remove the code requirement and was active for several years on HF. But then my activity decreased after my divorce as I tried and socialized more. I'm sorry to hear about about the divorce, but uh, I'm glad you got out there. This past January, I was evaluating my future and really wanted to be more active in the hobby and upgraded to Amateur Extra. Oh, good. Congratulations. Sometime I'll figure out why that license is referred to as Amateur Extra, but the others aren't. Now, I... Because you're extra. Well, I, so I extra. agree to... Why is a- Extra labeled as Amateur Extra, you but extra you're not in amateur technician or an amateur general oh specifically yeah. the use of the word amateur yeah exactly no I, I would i mean i really do argue that the amount of knowledge hams need to have is anything but amateur right well we're gonna talk about that on today's topic oh my goodness wow leah <laughs> look at the I, foreshadow i did not know you had, what you i had usually no idea. walk into these right. like What are we doing now? Exactly. (laughs) Why are all these microphones set up on the kitchen table? Now I'm working to improve my CW to 20 words per minute so I can work that more on HF and say that I may not have just taken the written test, but I can do the CW as well. With all of that said, over the past couple of months, I found HRCC on YouTube and subsequently the podcast. Thank you. And as I've rejoined my local ham club, but the YouTubers have shown me that there's a large community of Elmers who aren't in the gray-haired club and have so many ideas. I feel we can bring in many younger hams to the community and expand the hobby. We're also talking about that today. Total, I totally agree. Good I stuff. agree. 
I've done some podcasting on my own and listened to the podcast every week. The first time I listened to it, I couldn't believe it was this long. I only have a five minute commute to work and it only takes me 45 minutes to get ready for work. I thought I'd never be able to listen to this podcast again. No problem. You got a whole week. (laughs) In fact, I have not only listened to every podcast since, but when I couldn't find the podcast on Friday and then Saturday morning, I had to look up what happened and found the comment that you had gone to bed early. I had to make the 18th post on Facebook asking, where is the podcast? There were only two. And I I actually appreciate the fact that people I do too. I think it's great that they plan their Friday or you know they expect it on Friday you know if anything if there were something catastrophic to happen to us <laughs> I think people would know very quickly <laughs> well, there would within be a week, least, welfare right? checks right? <laughs> somebody they haven't posted she, their podcast she finally did it she killed Josh <laughs> that way he can't edit the podcast and post it <laughs> The last no. unaired podcast. <laughs> no. The one where Leia reaches over the table. And why kills me. why do I have to be the villain? Why isn't there a well, third party villain who was in it to like get all of your ham radios? Oh, see. Oh. <laughs> Go on. Is it Jim Walsh? No. That's what from is- America's Most Wanted. Oh. God, what is that guy's name? I really need some help. I'll look it up. You go ahead. You keep going. Dateline voice guy. Go Google. Yes, exactly. Uh, Paul continues. I completely understand. (laughs) Yeah, that. Yeah, I had to go to sleep. You were so far off. I did. (laughs) Keith Morrison. Is it really? Yeah. Oh, okay. Well. Totally wrong. <laughs> totally wrong. And is though, it Bob? <coughs> is it Jim? Is it Jim? <laughs> is it Jim Bob? <laughs> uh, Paul continues, and though I did go to look up what had happened, I do support both you and Josh that sometimes things can't always be done on time. I appreciate that. Sometimes they're done ahead of time. Sometimes like you have episode. to go to sleep. And sometimes you don't ever want people to worry about you again. So you record on a Tuesday. <laughs> okay. People are going to be pissed though. They're like, last email. It's like the middle of next week. It's going to be hilarious. <laughs> oh, sorry, Nathan. <laughs> <laughs> You're going to get like requests to resend the email. Uh, so Paul continues, here are some recommendations in addition to what you already recommended for extend, uh, extension cord use to avoid fire. One, don't daisy chain extension cords or surge protectors for that matter. Okay. When I was in college. <laughs> Good stories start with this, uh, this starting point. Yeah. Our resident advisor... Well, he wasn't a resident advisor. Our, I was on an honors program hall. So everybody on this dorm hall mm-hmm. were all honor students. So we had a dedicated uh, resident advisor, which every dorm hall has. And mm-hmm. then we had our own IT guy. <laughs> right? Both honor students as well. Because <laughs> right? the honor students need their own IT person? Yes. We are doing a lot of things with technology, okay? Mm-hmm. My mom would always say, 
They're book smart, but they're street dumb. I'm really street smart. Because you I, come from the streets. Yeah, I come from the streets. La Mirada, <laughs> California. Right by Biola University. The the Christian college. I did I did live right in, on the streets in La Mirada. I lived in Long Beach mm. and La Mirada. Well, if you so if you tell someone from California I lived in Long Beach, they always follow the question up with where in Long Beach? Long Beach is huge. <laughs> Because it could be North Long Beach, which is Compton adjacent. Right. Or, or it could be, be Knowles. Belmont Shores. Or, yeah, which is like not the same thing. It's like an thing. artist compound. <laughs> it's not even close to the same thing. Fair enough. Yeah. So anyways, in college, this this IT guy had daisy chained infinitely because dorm rooms have limited power outlets. Yeah. And you need to plug in your mini fridge and your microwave and your TV and your computer and your printer and so on I'm and so forth. I'm starting to get forth. defensive and from my ham shack right now. You have to plug in your video game console, more than one video game console if you need to. And if you're also a DJ in your spare time, you have to plug in your turntable. why would you not be? <laughs> right. <laughs> so he had power bars just a daisy chained off of each other. That's not good. And I don't know anything about electricity, you know, wiring or electricians work. But when I was in that room, I knew there was something wrong. <laughs> I can feel it. My teeth hurt. Yeah. <laughs> this room mm-hmm. feels like it is not far from devastation. Yeah. <laughs> So, yes, don't daisy chain your chain extension cords. Wait, there's no devastation story? You built that whole thing up and nothing happened to the guy? Oh, I'm sure he shorted something. Oh, jeez. Yeah, it wasn't a massive dorm fire or anything. The only destruction that happened on that floor was from my pranks. So, Oh. (laughs) Oh. Oh. Okay. I had this, like, idea. murder? No. I had this idea in my head that college dorms were about pranks, but the only person I ever played pranks on were, was my RA, my resident advisor. Yeah. And he, we would just all leave our doors open. Right. And so he would go do some RA business somewhere and his door would be open and I would sneak in and go hide his library books or password protect his computer did you have a crush on this guy no uh, wow okay <laughs> once we got together and i we bet re- you he thought you did we removed his mattress and put it on the second the floor above ours which was also an honors <laughs> pretty impressive and that it guy upstairs had to bring it back down <laughs> the upstairs it person yeah i I feel bad for him now. Sorry, Raj. <laughs> if, you're, if for some reason you're listening. Okay. 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 So the next piece of advice from Paul is when using an approved extension cord, they are only to be used as temporary wiring, i.e. 90 days or less. Mm. Actually defined in the fire code. 
yeah, not I was permanent for the code. wiring. Yeah, I was waiting for the code. There it is. If you need it for more than 90 days, you should put in permanent wiring. I've seen numerous fires related to this. And Josh is right. The cord doesn't know, but the electrical current does. Correct. <laughs> I realize that most people will say that they've used extension cords for years without issues. But I've also run numerous fires related to electrical related issues. And for people who plug and unplug every day, that causes wear and tear on the cable and can cause it to fail. Sure. Well, that's great information. Again, thank you both, you and Josh, for all you do promoting the ham radio community. 73 Paul N4VVJ. And we should specifically note here that we're not necessarily talking about the gauges of the wire. Like those cheapy, you know, 99 cent store extension cords are going to have super small gauge wires. Those are definitely a temporary setup. If you have an, an appreciable gauged wire in your extension cord, something that can handle, if you go to, again, if you go to Home Depot and you drop money on a good extension cable, that will last you a very long time. But yes, there's stresses in the bending of the cable and the plugging mm. in and all that stuff that eventually over time could lead to a short and could lead to a fire, particularly if something adjacent to the cord is flammable. When you run a proper circuit, just keep the cord in some water then, right? No, in a jar. <laughs> oh, you think it was a jar full of water that you put the coax in? No. Oh, no, it was just an empty jar. No, that's not what I was thinking. I was like, water. You can't set water on fire, you, so you just make sure. <laughs> By the way, going back to the fire extinguisher talk, you definitely don't use water to put an electrical fire. Just oh. a FYI on that But one. what if it was already in water? Just not like the ends, just like the cord portion, you know? I had to re-up <laughs> re my fire extinguisher uh, certification just recently. So you need to use a C-class fire extinguisher for uh, electrical. And how you remember it is C- for current. Oh, a, I'm definitely going to remember that. <laughs> a is for biological slash wood, and that is A for ash. Oh, that's really going to make a connection for me. Mm -hmm. Yeah, solid, yep. solid advice. Uh, no, but for real solid advice, thank you so much, Paul, <laughs> for, <laughs> for uh, making a detailed recommendation on what the actual meaning of temporary is. <laughs> The month of Christmas is actual temporary. Right. I mean, maybe parts of November because people get started early and then maybe January. If you're Filipino, then it's like three months, right? Oh, yeah. October. Yeah. Uh, because of what is, I forget what that holiday is called. It's called not celebrating Halloween. Okay. <laughs> Getting started real early. But in all the, the way to Three Kings Day, right? Yeah. In the Philippines, like. Christmas starts in October. Starts there's a, there's a word for it, though. It's a that, whole lot, of, a whole lot of Christmas. Did I say yeah. Halloween? I didn't mean to say that. No, you said Christmas. no, uh, they don't celebrate Halloween. Yeah, but it's like three months. They might celebrate Halloween. I'm kidding. But it's definitely like a ton of, of Christmas. I would most definitely, if I were to travel back to the Philippines, have to avoid October and November. Oh, yeah. You're hardcore. Yeah. I, Leia's hardcore Christmas. I cannot start anything christmas until after thanksgiving is over i will it not really, let it would be really tough because you'd be like chilling in october which is still kind of summerish right in the philippines right 
And then all of a sudden, Mariah Carey starts singing somewhere. And you're like, I got to get out of here. Nope. I got to get out of here. I don't do any Thanksgiving preparation before Halloween. Mm-hmm. And I don't do any Christmas preparation before Thanksgiving. You are very, you are, you are tied to those, yes. those holidays. That is one of the few things I am very rigid on. No, you're not rigid on anything no, else. No, that's it. That's, that's it. it. That's the only thing. Wow. I'm glad you agree. Oh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> this next email is from Brantley. It's titled, Dare. Oh, no. Josh and Leah, hello again. I had to write in specifically about the Drug Abuse Resistance Program. Oh, in that sub- dare. I thought he was going to Okay, good. From the last podcast apparently josh and i had damn near the same experience with dare i was <laughs> yes. quite educated about drugs from the program yes i died when josh said shadow box of drugs i can still remember I this box right <laughs> i can still remember this box that was brought to my little two-room schoolhouse yes. in a small town in utah in the late 1990s the sheriff and i'm not kidding also gave us a bag of weed to hide in the schoolyard from their drug dog. What? This is the craziest Passover Seder I've ever heard of in my life. (laughs) We got to hide the matzah and the baggie of weed. So last week we talked about... I'm not Jewish, but I've definitely been to a Passover Seder. Yes. (laughs) Actually, I went to my first Seder with you. Yeah. Yeah, that's... It was fun. uh, it is, there was something where you hide the matzah, which yeah, is what you're did, talking about, I because I was right? the youngest. Yeah. Uh, and we had brisket. But then this German shepherd comes in and starts <laughs> picking up the place looking for this matzah. It's crazy. I'm like, that dog's German. Do you know that that dog's German? <laughs> this is not a good joke. This is <laughs> Why did you laugh, Leah? inappropriate. Why did you laugh? I, I was thinking about something else, okay. not what you were saying. <laughs> well, I apologize. Sure. Yeah, that's what happened. So last week we talked about the rock bottom line yeah. of t-shirts, which is never getting made, never but getting is made. fun to discuss. It's, it's dare to dream. It's, it's just fun to laugh about the different ways you can make a bow fang seem like heroin. Yeah. Right? <laughs> But that, but I did create one shirt. Yes, and it was, it was Fang Fang to keep kids well, off. Drugs. Technically, it was two, wasn't it? You made two shirts. I'm not sure. Wasn't there another one that was on the rock bottom line? I don't know. Anyway, keep going. I'll look it up. But you started talking about your dare experience at school. Yeah, because that was like so many kids went through that. It was like a, an actual thing. I did, and the the results of the dare program trying to prevent kids from doing drugs actually resulted in a boom in drug use. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Who knew? <laughs> so this, so Brantley is kind of addressing this in his experience saying same thing, but in a two room schoolhouse in Utah. That shadow box got around. I'm telling you. Brantley says, looking back, it's hilarious to me that that actually happened. No wonder I grew up to love Colorado. <laughs> Oh, all right. right. On another subject, Josh, you visiting Utah, I hope you'll let me know where you go to get beer. 
Wasatch Squatters Breweries are great because I'd love to buy you a Devastator. I think you'd enjoy it. Utah has a great ham community. Look into Utah Valley Amateur Radio Club, Utah Amateur Radio Club, and the Utah VHF Society. Wow. I will not have enough time to do any of that. I apologize. He has quite a whirlwind. Utah is a beautiful state with lots of majesty in its, like, rock formations. I've been there many times as a kid. Love Utah. Every time I go out to Utah now, it's always, like, business travel or, in this case, ham radio travel. Bang, bang, boom. Gotta gotta hit every task and then hop back on the plane. (laughs) And I've got a whole lot of tasks of stuff that I I need to do while I'm out there. Uh, Well, I I mean, like, hopefully not bang, bang. No. Booms. No. Right? Well, that's may- maybe, but like the the make shoots of variety. Yeah. <laughs> that, that, so, that variety of yes, bang, bang, boom. Yes, gotcha, gotcha. But I, again, I don't know how much time I'll have to do that either. I'm just going to be, you know, doing the ham radio thing. Brantley continues, these clubs have so many great members with a wealth of knowledge. Glad to hear you'll be in my neck of the woods. And Leia, I've got some good old Mormon jarred peaches, apples, apricots for you if Josh lets me buy him a beer. Yeah, not the most practicing member of the church at all whatsoever these days. (laughs) After the Colorado comment, yeah. Anyway, I'm only one hour into last week's podcast, so this may be email part one. So watch out, Nate. As we discussed on the F book, I'm going to beat you to the last email one of these days. Well, it's not going to be this week. (laughs) As always, love the content. Screw the shoring it up. Move to Utah. Drugs like dare, canneries for miles, and keep up the great work. From Nearness, S-L-U-T, and, you know, obviously, SL, comma, UT, which spells the Salt S Lake word. City? It spells the S word, oh. though, S-L-U-T. <laughs> Salt Lake City, Utah, mm. 73, Brantley, K-J-7-M-O-E. Thank you, Brantley. I, I always appreciate your emails. As much as I like the national parks in Utah, I don't know that I could ever live in Utah. Really? The alcohol laws are the most draconian of, like, all states. Really? Oh, Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's quite, quite difficult. My sister had an internship out there. Uh, She did a whole summer and said she could definitely live in Utah because she would get off of work at the end of her day and then Mm -hmm. get to go hike a national park. Yeah. Oh, yeah, you could do that. If that's like what you're about, then yeah, Utah's great. No question. I bet Utah is super healthy, too. Mm. You know? Because you've got... You're not getting great seafood in Utah. Well, you don't need to eat seafood to be healthy. But if you have lots of hiking and you have a community that grows things and cans things, (coughs) Mm -hmm. I feel like that's most of the way to both self-sufficiency and health. Yeah, but you really like seafood. That's true. That's true. Okay. Thank you, Brantley. The next email is titled Podcast Idea, and this is from Greg. It just occurred to me that since I first got on the air on January 1st this year, this will be my first field day. Since HRCC Uh has so many new hams, how about having the topic of one of the upcoming podcasts as how to participate in field day? I know that in the local club, most of the hams are planning on participating individually. 73, Greg, and three GDS. 
I am going to put that into the calendar to do on the next episode, actually. So I will set that up. That is a really good idea. Thank you, Greg. I know we have previously discussed, uh, what was it, off-grid power for field day? Oh, everything that I've talked about up until this point, anything portable outdoors is what you will do in field day. But when when you start doing field day planning, you have to consider what class of operation you're going to be doing power output how many people what power you're running off of all those things become vitally important because it's basically what you're going to be competing um, i can't believe we're back at a, field day it's again. not a contest guys but uh it's at the same time it's a contest so yes people take it very seriously it's fun to compete there's nothing wrong with that but at the end of the day it's kind of like not truly a ham radio contest Field days are actually the only limited edition shirts I've done so far. I did one for last field field day day. and then winter field day. Totally different um, organizations running those events. So if it's got a field in the name, that's all you care about. Right. And a day. Yes. It has to be a field day. Yes. I mean, don't just go around making up field days. There's two a year. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Autumn solstice field day. Okay. Must uh, operate in a cornucopia. Greg actually continues with a second email titled Baby Wearing Hobbies and Beavers. I just finished listening to the latest podcast and have to say it's the perfect length. How long was the last podcast? Close to three hours. Oh, man. I started playing it for my Monday morning commute and just finished it up prior to pulling in the driveway in the afternoon. Mm. Since I listen at 1.5 times, it seems like three hours is just right. Well, yeah, yeah people are fast forwarding though. Yeah. Like running, <laughs> what do we sound like at 1.5? Chipmunks. <laughs> <laughs> Leia keeps mentioning baby wearing groups. It just amazes me that this is a thing. Is it mainly a California thing? My nope. wife had a baby carrier, and when my son got bigger, we got a backpack so I could carry him on hikes. But neither of us bag. ever joined a baby-wearing group. Okay, so Greg, the baby-wearing groups. They are not about just how to wear your baby. They are at the time that I was really into it, and I'm sure that they're, they're still... They're how to accessorize with your baby. No. <laughs> So there's there's a lot of different kinds of baby wearing, and I'm sure a lot of people are going to check out on this. But uh, the the first type of baby wearing I got into was wrapping, and baby wearing wrap using a wrap is actually very difficult. Yes, it's like cloth origami that you have to ensure is done properly, or your baby falls out. So you need a lot of help mm-hmm. checking the um, the way that you've done your rap when you first start it is like three times a table runner in length it, it depends on what kind of wrap you do you can do an over the shoulder wrap that's much smaller but i always like the full wrap because you know i'm extra i guess but i really like the the feel of the wrap and actually if you uh wrap use a wrap to carry the baby it is much more comfortable because it is um lengths of fabric that actually spread versus straps sure and then what that ends up evolving into is collecting beautiful wraps and patterns on baby carriers yes and then that is a very expensive hobby (laughs) 
So there was there was a brand of baby carriers when when Leia was getting into this. It was kind of like I guess the brand was Tula. Yeah, they ended up being bought out by Ergo Baby, I think. Ergo, right. yeah. But Tula used to do, which is pretty cool for a brand to do this actually. They would have their like standard printed line, like their mass produced mm-hmm. line, mm-hmm. but then they would get like these custom hand woven wraps. Well, they, they would, would do collaborations right. with famous or or very I shouldn't say famous, highly sought after wrap makers mm-hmm. because these are actually people weaving the wraps. Right, right. It's all handmade stuff. Anyway, the these wraps would get kind of built into the Tula, which was kind of like a backpack that that had straps and a and a waist belt, but the center was kind of like material that the baby would kind of fit into. Oh, they would do full wrap conversions too no, though. I, I where the wrap I, is all Again, over I'm trying to keep it high level okay. here because right, this enough. is a this is a whole different community here. Leia. The point I'm getting to is there was the mass-produced ones. What'd those run? 150 Yes. 200 bucks. What was kind of the bent, the high point? I think I saw oh. one go for either ten or 30000 Yeah. A baby carrier. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So, um, there, so, so imagine, then, uh, and then mm-hmm. it became very rife with scams. Yes. So then you're getting into kind of these drama groups where you're following along with people who do really scammy things when they're trading these baby carriers. Right. I was a part of the uh, Sisterhood of the Traveling Tula. And I lucked out and I was um, one of the earlier people in the Traveling Tula. Mm -hmm. So I actually received it. Okay. That Tula went missing. <laughs> of course it did. So, yes. So that is why there are baby wearing groups. It is uh, in some circles as fanatical as I would say ham radio or any other hobby. So I, I got a good I got a good parallel example of that. Lots of people, if not everybody, owns a pair of sneakers and wears sneakers. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Only some people get involved with collecting Nikes and gets hardcore about it. Yes. It's just that kind of concept. It's how deep down this rabbit hole do you go? Baby wearing has a very deep, very dark rabbit hole. Right. That that people go into. But not all people, but And it is a specific kind of mom that gets into this. I mean, we tend to be a little bit more on the hippy dippy side of of child rearing mm-hmm. right we're we're more positive parents and attachment parents and things like that and then ev- eventually everybody kind of grows out of this yeah once you screw your kids up yeah yeah <laughs> so yeah uh greg continues josh you mentioned that one of your hobbies before you met leia was paintball is there any hobby that you didn't do pre-leia it seems like you have had as many hobbies as i have i am not sure I'm not sure that there is I don't know. a hobby that sports. Yeah, I don't like sports. I mean, I will play sports. I've always played sports growing up in, in high school and everything. Played water polo, um, soccer. Water okay. polo is my big thing in high school. but Sure. But cycling. not sports um, in general, like mainstream sports. I don't like... do think, no, I don't watch, I don't watch sports. Right. I don't have time for that. Um, 
You didn't get into marble racing. There's that. No, I only watched like one or two videos of marble racing. <laughs> no, I mean, you never set up your own marble run. Oh, not doing that. That's, no, no, not doing that. Set up little stands. No, and no. <laughs> to cheer for the team. There's no the way color. you could do that in our home. Edison would be in, he would be in the stands. He said pre-Leia. Oh, no. Okay. No. <laughs> yeah, I, I think you are quite the Renaissance man. Thank you. In that in that way. Yes. Is it because I'm a modern rogue? Wow. <laughs> <laughs> the, Greg continues. The phonetic alphabet, I think, that ha, a lot of people have no idea that it's an actual thing. They just toss out, toss out words that match the letters they need to use. Yes. Yeah. Because people do this on the phone, too. Yeah. Right? Everybody uses M, like... Nancy, Mary, Nancy, Mary, all back and Sure. I used to get slightly annoyed at the use of non-standard alphabets, but I realize that it's not a big deal. I do a lot of POTA hunting. I'll toss out my call sign, November 3, Golf, Delta, Sierra. Since most POTA people are working through pileups, I'll often get back a November 3 station. My response is usually November 3, Golf, Delta, Sierra. George David Sam, just to ensure they don't mistake anything. Mm -hmm. Some people hear Sierra as the letter C. Very good point. Here is the difference. When you're doing a poda or soda, everybody is already in that that tribe. They're, They're all doing it very cordially. Everybody's being super cool, running pileups, uh, soda. I've definitely experienced that. Everybody, like, you can get multiple people calling at you. But they're, they, it feels like it's not pressured. They know you're going to wait for them to make a contact. Oh, that's nice. You know, like they... they As opposed to in other well, scenarios get, where people I'm, are I'm like, getting, F it. I'm, I'm getting there. <laughs> I'm getting there. In the case of like a de-expedition, and you're chasing a de-expedition, you're chasing some far off station that may be running power, but they're so far away from you, you're not hearing them that well. And you got all these people that are getting really inventive with phonetic alphabets and all that stuff. It makes the DX, uh, the DX uh, expedition's job much, much harder. Then compare that, and again, everybody's out for the contact. They don't care who you are. They want the contact, blah, blah, blah. On the contest side, the contest side is the same deal. If you're running power and you're a contest station and you've got a big pileup, those people are all competing for points actively in that duration of time. So they're fairly, cutthroat's the wrong word, but they're, their priority is themselves. Mm. When you go do a poda and a soda, there's not a ton of competitions except for the people that are on the same frequency as you. And everybody gives each other enough space and you can generally work through the pileup. When it's like a 24-hour, 48-hour contest and everybody's just smashing to try and make those contacts, the the cordial aspect of it can sometimes disappear. So the best thing to do is just be very frank, very specific with the phonetic alphabet. It will help you out, I promise. I remember when you were operating for Last Man Standing, and it was a contest weekend. Yeah. And there was somebody who had just claimed a frequency to do a rag chew. With himself. <laughs> 
people were so angry. <laughs> they yeah. just kept coming in trying to talk over him. Yep. Just <laughs> it was not good examples of ham radio on either side. Though entertaining. Yeah, I think I recorded that. <laughs> Greg finishes up. Josh, you almost caused me to have an accident this week. You said that you didn't realize that Canadians had such an affinity for beaver. <laughs> what more can I say? <laughs> 73, Greg, and 3, GDS. Thank you, Greg. Thank you, Greg. The next email comes from Frank Tank. Oh. <laughs> I know this. It's individual. titled Awesome Co-Host Idea for Replay Show. Frank has his own YouTube channel. He does. And I'll link that in the show notes. This starts Howdy, Leia, and Josh. I love the idea of making a show out of a message team relay. I have an idea for Brian Brushwood co-host. Frank from Tank Radio. His energy, positivity, and perseverance with chasing satellites is infectious. One day he will get that contact. I also think that Josh will make a great correspondent in the field. Josh can do a breakdown of equipment and tactics the teams are using. I guess this one will be short since I don't like cooking chili much. <laughs> Frank, consider using your barbecued meats in a chili. Ooh. Does Frank do a lot of barbecue? He does a lot of barbecue. He's very, very skilled pit master. What kind so, of pit? Is whatever. it the barrel? Uh, or is it green egg? Oh, I don't know. What what, I, oh. <laughs> no, he, he, I, think, uh, I think he uses a pellet smoker, and he's got like another, he's got something else he uses. It's always very good stuff, though. But yeah, consider, Frank, if you just pull it a bit early when it's not completely done, and it goes into the chili... Mm. breaks that up a little bit and flavors it think about that frank okay well frank says once y'all start talking about grilling or barbecuing i will chime in <laughs> i love the show and keep up the great work kg5 ahj p.s leia congrats on getting your tech license no oh, thank you frank thanks frank brisket also very good <clears throat> in chili and brisket is actually pretty challenging i think to smoke no, because it's Frank's lean. It. It's not lean. It takes brisket's easy to mess up. Right. It's difficult for most people to get that to get the brisket to braise itself because it's got a huge fat strap on it. That fat strap will take care of the meat, but you got to get it rendering down so that it gets up in that meat and makes it moist again. Doing that, everybody's got a different approach to do that. There's so many different ways to make that happen. So we used to have a barrel smoker. A four-foot offset. And now we have an electric smoker. Mm -hmm. Do you think there's actually a difference in the quality of barbecue that's coming yeah. out of it? Yeah, actually, um, there's a big difference. With the four-foot, you <laughs> could have a tendency to over-smoke. Okay. Which I don't like over-smoked any kind of barbecue. Okay. With the electric, it's almost always under-smoked mm. to my taste. It's almost always under-smoked. It's very difficult to get that really good impregnated smoke. I'm not saying I don't like the smoky flavor. Not at all. I'm saying that you can go way overboard with an offset smoker. Mm -hmm. Also, the offset smoker makes the 
pit tending an all day gig. You're that constantly was the reason I didn't like it. There, yeah, no. <laughs> you're constantly getting fuel going on the side that goes in the firebox. You're trying to put wood on there, dial back the butterfly valve to bring the oxygen down so you don't light the, the wood on fire, which causes creosote. There's so many different things you got to pay attention to if you're doing just a fuel wood smoker. That's why they got called pit masters. Oh, yeah, seriously, because you're literally tending to the pit. The the next thing that we may venture into, if we ever get something a little bit bigger, because our our smoker that we've scaled down to is a bit small, is a propane smoker. Hmm. That gives you an appreciable size. You can run off a propane tank, and you can get really good smoke off of it. That's what uh, Will's dad uses. Hmm. And his is always really, really good stuff. What about smoking using the Weber? Which Weber? Um, the kettle. kettle. Yeah, it's it's not it's not a great situation. Okay, that's why they made that that Rocky Mountain one, the one that's like four feet in diameter, or uh, uh, four feet in diameter. Yeah, it's wow. huge. It's huge. It's a huge uh, kettle, so that you can do like huge offset jobs, where you have this huge pile of coal on one side, and you got the the meat on the other side and the butterfly valve of the lid is positioned over the meat mm. and that causes the smoke to come up and out of it. Interesting. All right. Well, thank you so much for writing in Frank. Now we've talked about grilling and barbecuing. There you go. <laughs> yeah, he'll email back next week with more commentary. The next email is titled, thank you. And this is from Jake, dear Leia and mildly interesting co-host. <laughs> Upgraded to mild. <laughs> I just found your podcast and I love it. Before, about two hours ago, I hardly knew what a podcast was. Now I'm queuing up another episode. Whoa. Thank you. That's high praise. I have been watching the HRCC channel for about 11 months now, and I saw the video about the upcoming FCC fees. At that time, I was currently a general. Hearing about this fee was what caused me to get my extra. Good for you. Looking to see when my local ham radio club's next session would happen, I found that it was scheduled two days away from Thursday evening. Now, since it was Tuesday morning, I had about 60 hours to study. I immediately started studying on ham study. Looking back on the screen time tracker for my phone that first day, I studied for about 11 hours straight. Wow. 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 Since I attend school Wednesday and Thursday, I studied for about another 12 hours off and on for another hours of totaling about 23 hours of studying. And he includes a screenshot as proof. After sitting for my test and anxiously awaiting for my results, I got a 45 out of 50. Congratulations. Very good. This would not have been possible without the collective knowledge I gained from your channel. Thank you. I guess I am now the rare breed of extra who only owns Baofeng radios. (laughs) There are others out there, I guarantee it. Anyway, I have a question for you that you might be able to answer. My mom is an avid runner and she signed up for the 50K race on Catalina Island in January of next year. Wow. I didn't know there was a 50K race on Catalina. And that terrain can't be easy either. If you're doing the whole island. I have no idea. Yeah, sure. Because Catalina Catalina has 
like kind of a a mountainous break between the two harbors, I think. Yeah. Right? But I bet it's beautiful because Catalina has a large amount of buffalo. Is it buffalo? Yeah, they, right? that's what encourages you to keep running. Right. <laughs> The buffalo are just stampeding the racers. No, no, they're holding water and they're cheering you on. Oh, oh, okay. Oh, such a nice water buffalo. Ah, <laughs> uh, oh, there you go. Now you're now you're yeah. playing with it. There All you right. Go. I heard it's hams that provide the communication. I know, water buffalo, buffalo did kill you. What? Water <laughs> buffaloes are incredibly dangerous. Are they aggressive buffalo? Super amazingly aggressive, yeah. Wow, brutal. I heard it's hams that provide the communication for the race, and I would be interested in helping out. Who would be the best contact for this? I know it's a bit of a stretch, but hey, they are two similarities, playing radio and being in California. Just wondering if you're able to point me in the right direction. Thank you again for all you do educating and bringing the ham radio community out for the world to hear. 73 and all the other numbers. Jake. I haven't Googled this, but I imagine the group that you should reach out to is the Catalina Island Repeater Association. Contact them. Go on their website. See if there's an email you can find. Contact them and ask them specifically if they do race support events for uh, for the run. Or you could contact the run and ask them who yeah, provides maybe. their ham radio support. Yeah, that that's probably more effective. Yeah, maybe. I mean, I don't know. I, at 50k, I am assuming that they actually absolutely need they a ham just radio use the repeater. repeater. The repeater is literally in the center of the island. Sure, but I'm saying that at, at 5K around Catalina Island with the potential... Not because 5K. Of the, the 50K, I'm sorry. 50K. With the potential for people to get hurt. Oh, yeah. That they must be using hams across the island I'm, I'm to help sure communicate. I'm sure they do, yeah. Yeah. Thanks, Jake, for your email, and I hope you figure out how to support your mom's race. Yeah, that's awesome. The next email is titled Your CW Request. I'm going to preface this email really quickly because uh, Kyle, who wrote in, uh, found our Spotify feed that doesn't update. So what he's responding to (laughs) is something from, I think, August of 2020. And we, I I clarify that for him later, that Spotify's feeds are messed up. So I'm going to read it. But keep in mind, this goes back to... Uh, the get, podcast get, get that we referenced a CW faux pas. Oh, okay. 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 This says, hey, Leia, I learned CW at five words per minute, and I'm far from proficient, but I can do 15 sometimes more, but I still hear some letters using the mnemonics that were given to me. My first teacher said, okay, this next letter sounds like someone saying phrase here. That was great, but now I cannot unlearn that. It's hard. Josh is correct. Learn using Farnsworth. It sounds so weird to hear it explained like he did when you are new, but now I completely agree with it. I even bought Gordon West CDs, and I wish I hadn't. You, What did you say about Farnsworth and learning CW? You don't learn anything under 15 or 20 words a minute for receiving okay. specifically. Gotcha. Because, and, and, and good... Now I'm like, yes, thank you, Leah, for explaining this. Otherwise, it's, there's no context. Right. <laughs> okay. If you learn slow code, you are going to count the dits and daws in your head. You're going to go dit, 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 da, dit. That's an F. You're going to go dit, da, dit, dit. That's an L. You don't want that. You want to hear dit, da, dit, dit. 
you want to hear it as though it was like a word mm. of another language. It's like learning a language. If you have an intermediary process in your brain, like a calculation you're doing, you can't speed that up. If your brain is doing a calculation before it can decipher what the meaning is, you can't make that go faster. Our human brains top out at a certain speed that they can calculate and you'll start dropping characters. So the way to learn it is by memorizing the characters as they sound, not from a mnemonic, not from a... An H looks like, you know, whatever. Right. You have to learn it from the audible. You have to build the muscle memory of hearing as H. Maybe you should start by learning Chinese. Oh, yeah. That's a good way. That's yeah. the first thing to, <laughs> to back into learning uh, Morse code. So, yeah, that that's the problem is if it... And, you know, to all the the old timers that go, I had to learn CW at blah, 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 words a minute. Well, a lot of the guys who learn CW at blah, 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 words a minute, like five words or whatever it was, they're horribly stifled for future CW growth because we didn't learn, we didn't know back then. And if you train a bunch of people how to do CW at five words a minute, it's very hard to bump that up. They have to break a ton of bad habits to get faster. Right. And arguably, doing Morse code at five words a minute is like, so, so slow. Kyle definitely agrees with you here. Yeah. He continues, my wife is a technician, KK4 TVL, and I wasn't as patient when she was learning as you guys are on the podcast to keep up the good work. 73, Kyle. Well, Kyle. Nobody would listen if I told her what I want to tell her. (laughs) No, I'm. I think Josh was honestly just grateful that I was just grateful, man. Willing just to grateful. learn, and then willing I'm to do that it. She never publicly. saw through this whole act this whole yeah. time. It's amazing to me. You're such a smart woman. Normally, wow. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm kidding. Thanks for the email, Kyle. I hope you enjoy the backlog of podcasts. Did you send him the... the, I did. I told him to go find the new one uh, because we are uh, over half a year past. Wow. Wowie wow. Almost a year if he's starting in August and we are in the middle of May. Oh my gosh, so crazy. This this last part of the year is going to fly by too. I literally like every month now that things are opening up, I'm already like, there's travel plans afoot. Right. Like every month. So there's actually something that I want to do, and I don't know if it's a good idea to do this summer, because Ben, who's going into second grade, I asked him what he wanted to do his summer research project on. Mm-hmm. And he said that he wanted to learn about life uh, um, in space. And I asked him to clarify, do you mean life on something like the ISS? Because if it's that, then we're going down an astronaut path, and it'd be really cool for him to be able to contact the ISS. And mm-hmm. uh, and then I need to figure out where kids can go talk to astronauts on the ISS, right? I mean, you talk to me. Uh, that would be so difficult. It would require a lot of work for me to figure out how to do that. And <laughs> I'm, I'm kidding, but it's Eris. It's Eris <laughs> that, that does that. And we could do that. We could. We, we should probably. 
we should probably figure out how to petition the school once everybody starts getting back to make this. Because they've got the space to set up the antennas, too. But, but what he actually said was, no, not, I don't care. I'm not the anyway. astronaut. I'm going to do it anyway. I don't care. <laughs> he meant life on other planets. Like how to establish life on other planets. He's talking about terraforming. Right. Okay. And so... This is great. There's a wonderful documentary on this, actually. It's called Total Recall. It's fantastic. <laughs> it's one of my favorite movies. So the first thing that I thought about was what I mistakenly called the biodome. And then you went down a Polly Shore rabbit hole. You were like, Josh, can you show me a picture of the biodome? And I said, Ask no, no problem, fam. <laughs> You just search Polly Shore Biodome. I'm like, it looks like this. This is what life is like on Mars. It's actually called the biosphere. There were actually two different experiments Mm -hmm. in uh, a self-contained building that could theoretically be put on other planets because the systems would be able to sustain life just within the the dome. It's called the biosphere. Yes. Okay. Yes. And one was done in the U.S. and one was done, I want to say, maybe in Russia or something. I'm There's sure somebody will tell me. in that movie. What? In Bio Like Dome. a lesser Baldwin or Alec Baldwin? It's a, like, Stephen Baldwin, I think. Okay. Well, that's fine. Le- I mean, they're all lesser Baldwins. If you <laughs> took Alec Baldwin as the Baldwin. The Biosphere 2, which is the experiment I remember from the 90s, is in Arizona. Okay. And it is now open for touring. The biosphere was purchased by the University of Arizona, which is um, in Tucson, I think. And so the biosphere, too, is a tourable facility now uh, on the outskirts of Tucson. Okay. And so I immediately started thinking, okay, that's what we're going to do this summer. We're going to work on this research project. We're going to go out to Arizona in the summer. Oh, no. Yeah. (laughs) And so I'm thinking about how to get there because the kids aren't vaccinated yet and I'm not putting them on a plane until they're vaccinated. And the biosphere's got to be loaded with COVID. What? It's a hermetically sealed bubble. If anybody went in there with COVID, it's just everywhere. Oh, my God. I'm kidding. I don't know. (laughs) You know there's some ham radio things to do in Arizona, right? If If you start talking about that, I'm like, okay. Arizona Phoenix or Arizona? Arizona is not that big of a state. Prescott or Arizona Tucson? Prescott's actually, I would like you to see Grand Canyon or Sedona. What are we talking about? Where is the ham radio in Arizona? I want you to pinpoint it for me. So that you can avoid it? (laughs) (laughs) No, I'm I'm just trying to clarify where these places are there's a titan military facility that has one of the largest like delta loop antennas oh it's huge and where is that i'm not going to tell you okay i can just google it it's not that big of a deal in my travel plans it might so, be in mexico though so we're probably not going to go there probably or hatch chili right right no okay so <laughs> I am now trying oh, to figure discount. out not not Delta Loop, sorry. Okay. Now I'm wondering how hot is Tucson, Arizona in the summer? Hot. And what is the best summer month to go? November. Because I even I, I plotted out a the drive 
from where we are uh-huh. to Tucson. And it's about an eight hour drive, really. And it takes you through Phoenix anyway. Mm-hmm. So I thought about maybe just making it a road trip, but there is literally nothing between Joshua Tree and nothing. Phoenix aside yeah. from Blythe. Ooh. What's in Blythe, California? Why do I remember that? What is the significance of Blythe? Uh, probably a TV show you watched. Oh, maybe. Okay. <laughs> so if anybody is listening and is from Arizona, I would love some hot tips on when Arizona is not so hot mm. to figure out this biosphere trip. All right. The next email is from William and... It's titled Satellite Radio. We're on our last two emails. Oh. And I do think this is funny because the last two emails came in relatively close to one another. Oh. So it was a race to the last email. (laughs) Okay. This is titled Satellite Radio. Dear Leah and Josh, as you are well aware, Project Oscar Orbiting Satellite Carrying Amateur Radio built and launched the first amateur radio satellite on 12-12-1961 from Lompoc, California, operational in low Earth orbit for 22 days. For review, low Earth orbit, LEO, has an altitude of less than 1200 miles and an orbital period of approximately two hours i international space station orbit medium earth orbit meo which is home to gps satellites is stationed between leo and geosynchronous orbit geo achieved at an altitude of 22,236 miles A GEO satellite matches the rotation of the Earth, allowing it to be located over a specific point at the same time each day, providing a a predictable daily ham radio access point. Geostationary Earth satellites have a geosynchronous equatorial orbit with no orbital inclination, remaining stationary over one longitude at the equator, providing a continuous ham radio access point over a wide area. The dream of an Oscar in geostationary orbit over North America eventually led to the launch of the Fox-1D Oscar 92 on January 12, 2017. Although this satellite reached orbit, it unfortunately remains only rarely operational because of serious battery power issues. Rad FX Sat 2 Fox-1E Oscar 109 launched January 17th, 2021, is rarely operational due to the malfunction of its telemetry beacon and linear transponder. Although there are now more than 18 fully functional or fully operational orbiting amateur radio satellites, only one of these is in geostationary orbit. Oh, I didn't know that. S-Hail 2 Q0100 was launched in November 15th, 2018, and is now orbiting over 26 degrees each east longitude, covering the Middle East and North Africa region. North America still needs our geostationary Oscar. Clearly, satellite operations require systemic robustness with a fail-safe design and reliable power. 
these are the characteristics that come to mind when I think of HRCC. Okay. <laughs> the synergistic interaction and cooperation between Josh and Leia regularly produced a Com- a combined effect greater than each individual contribution. And Leia also has plenty of power. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> okay. So until we get our geostationary satellite, we're grateful to have HRCC in a geosynergistic orbit, providing our dependable and inspired ham radio access point. See diagram for t-shirt design idea. Very good. Thank you. And Orbital 73, William AG5ZN. That is hilarious. We went through an entire ride of failed satellites to get to a t-shirt design. Thank you, like William. It. That was good. He's losing me a little bit there. I'm like, hold on. What's going on here? We're, we're still talking about all of the satellite failures. I will mention that uh, putting a, a satellite in geosynchronous orbit is very costly. And largely, it wouldn't be a CubeSat type design. It wouldn't be anything like that. Okay. It's just not sustainable. It would likely be something that was piggybacking on space of another bus, as they call it. Mm. A platform in which other payloads can be placed. That's not going to happen. Hear me out. Well, I mean, sorry. It could happen. I was mid-sentence. It's not that it's not going to happen. I'm saying that it's not going to be a small sat that does it. Hear me out. What if we collect all of the pieces of the Chinese rocket that fell across parts of of the world? Okay. And use those scrap parts to launch a satellite. (laughs) I don't think that's going to work. Everybody check your backyards. It's not the launch vehicle that's the issue. It's the whole getting it from out out of the atmosphere to the location that it's going to dock in or or rest in in geo what happened to that one origami uh space and the james webb yes it hasn't gone up yet is it is it ever going to go up yeah it's going to go up it's something that's a whole that's a whole topic of discussion that is a fantastically interesting piece of uh piece of technology i just think it's so interesting that it's you know, metallic-y and... Wow. <laughs> and so also... metallic Well, it's gold inside, right? And then it's also origami. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Very interesting. The whole... That's that a whole, great design. Um, it's, it's something. It's a transformer in space. I've, I've, nothing like that would ever, has ever been attempted before. Huh. It's because once it's there, you can't touch it. Oh, no. This thing goes way, way out. Right. Way, way So out. if there's a catastrophic failure, you just launched space junk. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and it's when it starts to do its transformation, it's going to be way far away from anything human right. that could help it. Yeah. Because remember, the um, when Hubble went up, the the crew of the space shuttle multiple times had to go up and do maintenance on it to right. get it to the point that it was actually usable. That is not going to be possible with... Uh, I just think there's so many variables. Oh, my God. You know? and uh, Yes. You'd, you'd have to fully expect there to be something that goes wrong. Yes. And then to expect, no, this is going to straight up work. 
we're going to launch it. It's multi-millions of dollars. Millions? Try billions. Okay, multi-billions of dollars. We're just going to launch it. Yeah, we're just going to space. this thing into space. Yeah, it's- oh, so you guys are going to fix it if something goes wrong? No, oh, there's no. no warranty. No. No. <laughs> no. There was nobody who will support it. In fact, even if somebody was willing to support it, they can't physically support it. No, we have nothing that's going to go up there and get, and get that thing sorted out. Exactly. That's space junk. Oh, man, it's, that's a thing. That is a, that is a whole thing. All right. Well, thank you, William. And if we make this shirt, you will get one. And thank, thank you for you, leading us down this very fun path of space failure. Space failure. <laughs> This is the last email of the night. It's titled, Helping New Hams Get on HF. And this is from Kurt. Dear Josh and Leah, I love the HRCC goals of making ham radio commonplace and accessible. I do too. Just before the insanity hit last year, I pushed hard and got my extra ticket. Congratulations. Congrats. Then a funny thing happened. I felt fully invested. I felt responsible. This wasn't just my hobby anymore. I had to protect it. And help others achieve what I had done. Heck yeah. Sometime in July, people started asking me where they could get tested. Not for commune 19 virus. Oh, but for (laughs) (laughs) for a technician. I was compelled. I did something I said was never going, I was never going to do. I got VE accredited. Wow. Congratulations. Thank you for doing that. We put together a daring team of disgusted American patriot hams and started to hold underground ham railroad testing. I found tremendous satisfaction in helping people get licensed. Oh, because the the meetings weren't allowed in certain areas, the gatherings. Okay. With all these new operators, I started to think about bridging the gap to HF. Radios are expensive. All the additional gear is expensive. Yes, clubs can sometimes have SK used rigs, but not usually enough to meet the demand. And most of them have tubes, which is like giving your 16 year old a Model T. What is the incentive for a technician to move on to general? In the spirit of Josh's $1,000 ham shack, below is a mobile ham shack build for data mode only, FT8, JS8, which can be had for about $299-ish. It is easy to set up, fun to operate, cheap to buy, and will help the new general and soon-to-be technician when the privileges are updated get on the air and talk to a good chunk of the U.S., Since most of the new hams I have been welcoming are young, the idea of sending text is appealing. The radio is QRP, 4 watts, which is not important for data modes, and works on 40 meter and 20 meter, where most of the data fun is being had. I enjoy using this rig while parked in my car, but the system could, with small alterations to the parts, be installed at home or converted into a field kit for about the same price. Please feel free to take this info and make a YouTube about it if you think it will help people. 73KurtN7CWR. And he provides a build link with uh, all all of the links on Amazon. Thank you. What is the radio? Okay, so here's the build list. $25 for a tram mag mount. No, no, just tell me the uh, the radio. 
uh, Venus DR4020 digital mode QRP radio for 170 It's factory assembled, also available as a kit for less money. Okay. Yeah. Would, would so you it's... like me to go through the list of items? Because I am. Okay. I am. $11, 3 eighths to uh, NMO adapter, $7 BNC adapter, $8 Sabrant USB sound card recommended for ground loop isolation, 8 headphone to headphone cable, 3 feet 2 pack, $34 40 meter shark hamstick, $34 20 meter shark hamstick, $170 Venus DR4020 digital mode QRP radio. A uh, free old junker laptop you have laying around or so your that's, uncle there's, has there's, yet that's to discover trick. is missing. So that's the that's the trick of the whole thing is that it's the, the price point doesn't include the computer. Right. So the yes, total you, is two hundred and ninety nine dollars. No, I'm not. I'm not saying anything against that. It will work. But you do have to keep in mind that you are going to have to provide a computer because that's an SDR. That's a software defined radio. Gotcha. Okay. Well, Kurt, thank you so much yeah. for that great idea. And I will drop those links and uh, your build notes in our show notes. Very good. Thank you for taking on the responsibility and passion. Yeah, I think that's great that you went out there and got your VE, started testing people. I think that's really cool. That's it for the email correspondence tower. Very good. Thank you, everybody. Again, you can email us at leahathamtactical.com with your comments, questions, or your merch idea. And if we make something out of your ideas, we'll give you one for free. Leah? Yes? How's that general test coming? How, how is it coming? Have you looked at it since last week? Absolutely not. Okay. We haven't got to that point yet where you're like, that fire gets built on you, and you're. Know, I'm gonna. I'm gonna start studying. I'm. I'm gonna be honest. I'm still feeling pretty beaten down by this general test. Okay. I don't think I felt as discouraged by the technician test. Mm -hmm. I think I had basically assumed with enough practice, I would get there. Well, you you have spent very little time on the radio. All things being said, sure. Yeah. I'm, so I'm, I'm waiting for a family vacation. <laughs> We went on one, and you didn't come play radio at all. Because you were playing radio. I I have to be there. You're not a general. But I could just use my radio. Okay. You can use that around the camp. Sure. So you don't need me but there But then I that. need somebody to watch the kids. What are you yeah. doing with... A handheld isn't going to get you your general, I'm going to do a rag chew But for... that's not getting you your general. <laughs> You know that, right? A handheld doesn't get you I know, the general. I know. Okay. Fair enough. Yeah. All right. Why don't we work on it this weekend? Oh, my bad. Oh, you're bad. <laughs> well, that was my only available weekend. Oh, that was so. it? Oh. All right. Well, next year, maybe. Yeah. Let's see how it goes. I am on question 28 of 35. Oh, boy. So there's two ways we could go here. <laughs> we'll see how it goes. We could finish the we, test. I think we got to get a couple in to see how you're feeling it. We could finish the test, yeah, or we, we could should. just split that in the middle. No, we should probably just finish it. Well, we'll see how I feel oh, okay. about yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's kind of what I was saying, but all right. How close 
to the lower edge of the phone segment should your displayed carrier frequency be when using three kilohertz wide lower sideband. (laughs) (laughs) A, at least three kilohertz above the edge of the segment. B, at least one kilohertz above the edge of the segment. C, at least one kilohertz below the edge of the segment. D, at least three kilohertz below the edge of the segment. I'm going to go with C, at least one kilohertz below the edge of the segment. And that is absolutely wrong. The answer is A, at least three kilohertz above the edge of the segment okay say the question again read it again how close to the lower edge of the phone segment should your displayed carrier frequency be when using three kilohertz wide lower sideband okay the carrier on lower sideband is the rightmost part of the frequency bandwidth that you're taking up okay and it's three kilohertz wide Okay. So it must be three kilohertz off of the lowest segment. Mm, I should have logic my way into that, is what you're saying. Ideally. Okay. You you looked very confident, though. I thought you got it when you were reading it. Okay, cool. (laughs) She's got it. That trips up a lot of people, by the way, that question. I bet. What circuit is used to combine signals from the IF amplifier and the BFO to send the result to the AF amplifier in some single sideband receivers? A, product detector. B, balanced modulator. C, IF filter. D, RF oscillator. You've never heard any of these terms before. DRF oscillator. No, it's a product detector. That's a what, product detector. That's what basically is is taking the signal and creating the voice or signal that you're getting out. Okay. All right. Mm-hmm. 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 This is so fun. Uh, <laughs> which of the following is the purpose of a beacon station as identified in the FCC rules? A, observation of propagation and reception. B, transmission of bulletins of general interest to amateur radio licensees. C, identifying net frequencies. D, automatic identification of repeaters. I should know this because... Think about it. I think this is pretty technician adjacent. Think about it harder. B, transmission of bulletins of general interest to amateur radio licensees. Observa- no. Yeah, observation of propagation. Great. That's all. There are beacon stations all around the world that are constantly beaconing out mm-hmm, their mm-hmm. signal. If for some reason I can hear a beaconing station in Sri Lanka, I know the path to Sri Lanka is open. It's for propagation. I see. It's on HF now. See, you have to keep in mind, we're, general is about HF. It's about the beyond line of sight communication. Oh, that's a good framing for it. A lot of it is all of that. So when they talk about propagation, understanding where your signal path is going, it's for that facilitated atmospheric refractory. That ha- refractory I see. Term. Refraction. Refraction that's happening. The, the bending of the RF against the atmosphere. Those beaconing stations are there if you can receive them on their specific frequencies to tell you that that path is open. Okay. Yeah. I should have known that. 
actually. I think. I think yeah. that, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think, I think so. This so. is going to be the last question here. That's uh, it for okay. which of the following modes is a class C power stage appropriate for amplifying a modulated signal? The, the fundamental problem here for me is that I don't, don't know, know what any of these things are. A, all of these choices are correct. B, single sideband. C, FM. D, AM. What was the question again? For which of the following modes is a Class C power stage appropriate for amplifying a modulated signal? A, all of these choices are correct. B, SSB, C, FM, D, AM. Uh, I'm going to go with A, all of these choices are correct. That's incorrect. It's C, FM. So, oh, for whatever. (laughs) (laughs) Not one. Not Skunked. one. I'm sorry. It's just like when we go fishing. It's <laughs> it's a it's an appreciable step up. It, it is. is. But I I think with uh with studying, I think you'll you'll do with studying. I think you'll do great with studying. With studying. With studying. With it though. <laughs> yeah. With it. Yeah. Okay. So the show topic is. Well, two things I got to mention before we go into this. Huntsville is coming up. Huntsville. Hunt, God, see, yeah, I, I do it all the time. <laughs> you sound like a Boeing employee in Huntsville telling Hunsville. me you say it wrong. I get it. I'm sorry. Y'all. Huntsville. Huntsville, y'all. Okay. We're going to the, well, I'm going to the Huntsville Ham Fest. I do have to say this, though. I really like the South. I like, like, the monograms. I like. The, mon- the, the monograms? <laughs> that was the first thing of the yeah, South? Yeah. Not the barbecue or the. Oh, I like the barbecue the in the South. I like. I like kind of this uh, society, like the cotillions or debuts debuts where you introduce I think the word people. you're looking for is cotillion i said cotillion or debut oh okay yeah i'm just so used to hearing debut yeah <laughs> not not the south same concept though i really i do i i feel like north carolina south carolina huntsville's not by there is a place that would be i could i could settle there they got biscuitville I love biscuits and gravy. Yeah, Biscuitville's good. All right, so Huntsville Hamfest is Hamfest is coming yeah. up. I'm going. Ton of other people are going. I mean, I'm not going, you're despite not going. my love of the South. Yeah, you're not going. I'm yeah. sorry. Mm-hmm. I apologize. Yeah, no, thank you so much. We'll, we'll figure it out next year. Mm-hmm. I, I think we'll. Whatever happens uh, with all of this, I think Dayton Hamvention will try and do the whole family going. I think. Would the kids have to miss school? Yeah. Oh, that's that's a hard sell for Tiger Mom me. Mm-hmm. Well, it's it's the okay. Anyway, we'll, we'll worry <laughs> about that. We'll worry about that in the future. I guess Huntsville then, because that's in August. Ooh, is it hot? Yeah, and, and muggy. Man, and weather is a real deterrent for me. I don't know if you. Yeah, I, I, I know. I know this. Yeah, <laughs> that's the real reason I can never leave California. Does it get weather? <laughs> Like, I, I'm good with hot, but, but is how it humid? hot? 
like how hot isn't arizona a dry dry heat yeah good in a dry heat Um, that's a good california ism but then does it also have snow yeah (laughs) is that as confusing for me yeah could i grow tomatoes all year round Mm -mm. (laughs) yeah uh also youtubers ham fest is coming up it is youtuberhamfest.com and we have uh, basically the weekend of Memorial Day. We've got oh, that. Yeah. The whole thing, it starts on Friday. Is there going to be a barbecue off? Tank Frank, Tank Radio, has multiple segments throughout the weekend of his barbecue continuing through but the event. But uh, not all of the ham fest hosts are going to also do barbecue for like Memorial barbecue Day. while hosting live streams no i like mean maybe, maybe like, you, you all have about? a virtual barbecue competition where everybody How? shows off their barbecue and then take... oh, i see you put a little hat on your barbecue <laughs> no you take a look at the smoke ring you cut it How see could you whether or not it looks test barbecue without eating it that is crazy. Well, then you would eat it and talk about how good it is, mm. and then talk about <laughs> talk about your method. So it's kind of a a barbecue show interjected we, we in the ham. Barbecue fest. into a spoken word, a spoken word competition. But it can only be pork products. Why pork? Why? Because it's a ham fest. Oh my gosh! <laughs> this is horrible. then you won't disappoint the people who had no idea that it was about ham radio. <laughs> They're like, there's the ham. <laughs> there's the ham. We're waiting for it. Yeah, go to YouTuber YouTuberhamfest.com and we will be posting the schedule very soon. But it is literally two full days and we've got Friday in there. It's a lot. It's gonna be a ton of really, really cool uh com like tons of great shows. How many hours of Oh, I don't even know what the total is yet, but it's, it's... What, what time does it start and end, would you say? Uh, well, it's international now. So we have international uh, YouTubers that are hosting events like in the early, early morning. Wow. Yeah. So it's going to be, it's going to be a lot. It's well over 20 hours of content. Well, over. how many pounds of pork though? I don't know yet. I haven't talked to, okay. to Frank. Okay. So today, now I, I will say right up front, this show topic, largely I, I, have been thinking about this for a while. I'm not going to say it's totally based okay. off of this, but the ICQ podcast, which is another podcast that I listen to, another very popular ham radio podcast, by the way, go check them out too, because they do good stuff. They're in the UK. And they they had a title of their podcast last week, which was like, does, does ham radio need like a paradigm shift or a um, some kind of rebranding? And so that's kind of what we're going to talk about today. Didn't you talk about this last week, about the paradigm shift in ham mm-hmm. radio? No. And advancing technology. Oh, yeah. So I used the term paradigm shift last week. No, totally different. That was technology-based. You're going to like this one. I am? Yeah. So does ham radio, amateur radio, need rebranding? I think it does. And I'll give you... And, and that's why you're going you're, you're gonna to be talking a lot on this one, by the way. I am? This is, this is a, a wow. more of a... We're going to let Leia loose on this whole thing and see what, what you come up with. Because there was a point that they made, and again, you should go listen to this podcast because they had some interesting ideas. They had a lot of ideas I don't really agree with, but we'll, we'll talk about Who that too. Who is they? The ICQ podcast. Oh. In the UK. 
Great stuff. I, I listen to them weekly. So when you're, you're considering the concept of how do you grow ham radio, how do you get ham radio in front of other people? How do you make it interesting to people that are not ham radio adjacent, right? Hams, and, and the, the podcast mentions, I think rightfully so, that we, I think, aren't looking at it the right way. It's like the epitome of if the only tool in your arsenal is a hammer, everything starts to look like a nail, mm. right? Hams, so you guys are trying to beat up people to become yeah, a Yeah, we're just hammering people, hammering, yeah. you get yeah. it, <laughs> into one. Or you're like loading them up with beers, right? No. Getting them hammered. Getting them hammered, yeah. <laughs> so like they, they brought up terms like ham, ham radio. Does that give you a connotation, a good connotation, branding? If you're thinking, if, if we were going to rebrand this whole sucker, going all the way down to the ARRL, the way we refer to ourselves, all that stuff, ham radio. Let's start with that. I don't think there's that. an issue with the phrase ham radio. I think maybe there's an issue with the phrase amateur radio. Well, but, but ham radio, what does it tell you about what we actually do? It's got a real vintage feel to it. Yeah. And and I don't think there's actually anything wrong with that. Here's here's my take. Well, hold on. Okay, go ahead. Hold on. Oh, we're not. Hold on. I'm not losing. We got a here. lot here. Okay. We got a lot. All right. Take your time. I I don't have so an issue with going. the phrase you keep, ham you keep radio. Going. I'm to, yeah. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Go ahead. I don't have an issue with the phrase ham radio. I think that uh in general, people actually do like things that have longevity, right? And that there is, I talk about this a lot, how there is honor in ham radio, mm-hmm. right? That the people who are attracted to ham radio are generally service-minded people okay. or self-sufficiency-minded, all things that are actually fantastic qualities to have yeah but you've you've already you've already attributed too much what if they have no concept of what ham radio is well what does podcast mean no but there's a difference podcast has more gravitas in today's society than right but, ham radio does but i guess what i'm saying is who cares what it's called we live in a world where things are branded meaningless words like google and goop you just have to build the brand around it people you have to build the association the question is are you associating it with something that people are want to get interested in today or are you associating it with things that people associate with the past okay do you, do you get what I'm saying? Again, you're associating past as those are they're supposed to know this came from the past. They don't have to. Okay, so then they don't know that it comes from the past, and they hear the term ham radio. Is that a good term? Is that good branding? Or is the, that the branding is the association you create by, with how you expose it to the public? You are being defensive of a term instead of thinking, what could we call this? What, oh, because I think I, I think it is ridiculously stupid to call it something else. That's why. Okay, so not uh, radio, 
uh, enthusiast, wireless enthusiast. No, wireless because radio. all of those things are already different things that are already associated in people's minds. You say radio enthusiast, that's somebody who likes to listen to the radio. Well, but that's also true. But music on the radio. Well, that I mean, it could be, but it's it, a part it, of a larger umbrella. It, in fact, cannot be, right? Based on the FCC rules. No, but... It actually cannot be music on the radio. Yeah, but radio enthusiasts, if you only mean receiving, then you're missing half of what's happening there because you're not transmitting them. You're not... That's not a true statement either, right? I know, but when you say radio enthusiast, that already says that already has a connotation that is more powerful in the mainstream public than ham radio. Same way when you say wireless enthusiast, that is already strongly associated with other people. You're not going to overtake that. The vast majority of the public already has an association with it. But they could have a better understanding of if they became a proper wireless enthusiast and learn how radio worked and then ran their own. That just sounds like somebody who really likes cell phones. Interesting. Okay. Okay. I'm asking you some of these questions because I'm kind of like, you're still kind of the person that's not fully indoctrinated in all this. Sure. You're very resistant to my indoctrination as I guess is what I'm saying. I think that's what you really appreciate about me. I do. Mm -hmm. Amateur radio (laughs) though. I already know you answer to this one. I don't like it. Why? Uh, amateur radio, one, I, uh, I, I don't see, aside from the fact that you're not supposed to make money off of using it. I don't That's think the entire concept. Th- That's I don't think why the word exists. There is anything that actually describes the average ham as inaccurately as that. Right. I would agree. So I, I I think building something around ham radio, one, you've already got something catchy. There's nothing else. There's no way that anybody could call anything else ham radio and it not be associated with it, an, an idea of what ham radio is. Mm-hmm. You're not rebranding that. Do you, do you know what I mean? What the what you can do is what a number of other industries does, which is modernize the perception right kfc kfc today doesn't look like kentucky fried chicken of before well yeah but they got those really awkward commercials that they're doing and that's i mean that's what i would kind of do you remember the mario lopez video the telenovela that maybe that's what ham radio needs we need a telenovela (laughs) okay get franken on this (laughs) Going back to he can, conversations he can we've co-host. had. Going back to <laughs> conversations we've had on telenovelas on the podcast before. There's only one thing we can say to that, and it is Porque. <laughs> um so no, I don't think that again that there is an issue with calling it ham radio. I think there is an issue with people not realizing how ham radio fits into modern day life. And I think it's actually very simple and it is actually well positioned for the way society is moving. Mm-hmm. We are looking at a generation that embraces things like cryptocurrency. Right. We are moving to decentralize. Interesting. And yes. ham radio is decentralized communication. 
that's it in a nutshell. That's like what exactly it is. Right. You want to be free of the majority of constraints Mm -hmm. that you have in any area, right? And that's, that's kind of the push we're seeing, at least in America. I mean, hams in other countries who are listening to this, you tell me, or, you know, future hams who are listening, you tell me what you're seeing in your country. But in America, I feel like because of how polarized our values and politics are becoming, people don't actually want to be subjected to either companies that they don't believe in their politics or um, or censorship that they feel they're experiencing one way or another. Mm-hmm. And ham radio actually allows you to decentralize from the platforms that are quickly consolidating. Right. Well, Yes, but it's it's all in the clear, right? All communication is wide open. Yeah, I'm not talking about encrypting, mm-hmm. but it's it's like if you want to talk on a topic and you want to talk with like-minded people, what most people would do right now is they would get on an internet, go on a forum, hop on Facebook, join a group, but long range, you're still subject to whatever those platforms are willing to allow you to do. Right. Right. But in ham radio, you set up a net. And mm-hmm. and this is a, kind of one of the important things that you explained to me early on when we were recording the podcast. And it is turn the dial. Right. Right. If you don't like what you hear. The now centralized platforms that people use to communicate and connect with other people do not, those platforms are almost expected to say, it's our responsibility to resolve these issues. We instead have to curate of, this. Right. Instead of saying to the user, you turn the dial. You don't want to read this. You don't read it. Right. And now there's this onus on social media platforms and all kinds of things that say you're responsible for what is being put out there because you are hosting the information, mm-hmm. right? So if you do a ham radio net, then you can then talk to people on a specific topic that you are interested in. Right. Keep in mind, anybody can hear what you're saying, but... The expectation that if you hear something you don't like, turn the dial has to be respected for this to not turn into a complete cluster F. Right. Okay. So that's, that's for people that are kind of like already kind of there because they got their license or whatever. Actually, I think nets are actually the way that you are going to get more people to join the hobby. Like a curated net, something with a topic. Right, topic-based nets. Okay. Because really, the focus then shifts it into what it really is. It's a communication method. Hardcore hams are into the technology and the hobby of it. But okay. if if it's going to be relevant for today, and what people care about now is information and connection, mm-hmm. then it is driving it as a communication method that is more aligned with 
where the value system is moving. Okay. Again, that's for people that are already hams. So look at this from how do we get new people into ham radio? How do we get people interested in ham radio? So part of that question of rebranding really comes from how do you get a new customer? I mean, for me, I believe it's... Not everybody's going to make a podcast just to get their wife interested in ham radio. <laughs> That's not the way I would recommend going about this. No, I, I, I think it's about... Ham radio is not going to reach everybody. It it can definitely reach more people than it does today. But it's going to be people who have a, a similar value system, always. Because there's always going to be people who would rather communicate the easiest way, right? There's always going to be people who say, I have a cell phone, what do I need that for? And I'm not worried about being prepared for anything, right? It's ants and grasshoppers, right? Right. right. The old fable of mm -hmm. the ants preparing all year for, or uh, all harvest season for the winter right. time where they can't get something. Sure, sure. And the grasshopper who's just going to F around because it's easier and more enjoyable. Right. Right. Uh, there's always going to be people who say, well, I have Facebook or I have Reddit or I have Twitter, whatever. Uh, why Why would I rather do this? Mm -hmm. And it's going to be more free thinkers and more self-reliant people and more people who don't want what they can and cannot say to be dictated. Um, okay. I, I kind of agree, but, but not really. Um, I think that's a segment. I don't think it's the the vast majority of the segment of people that we would look to bringing into the hobby necessarily. Again, though, you're talking about a group of people, not how we bring them in. Well, if you're talking from a marketing standpoint, you have yes, to understand. Yes, yes, a marketing standpoint. Well, you have to understand that ham radio is not going to appeal to everybody. So how do you reach the people that it would appeal to? Yes, that's the question. <laughs> You've got it. How would we do that? Well, then you have to understand who it would appeal to. And that's what I'm describing. No, I'm, I'm with you. But okay. So then it's a question of, like, if you were marketing it as a product, you would yes. go and get all the influencers that align with this, mm -hmm. right? Like, for instance, there are lots of people that I watch on different platforms that do canning or self-reliance or things like that. And you get those people mm -hmm. into introducing ham radio as something that aligns with the decentralized concept, right? And then on the other hand, you have all of these uh, people who are very interested in the hobby for the technology. Okay. Right. And, and these are usually people that are also into cryptocurrency. <laughs> okay. Okay. Because it is, uh, when you get into the new developments, they are actually very technologically advanced. 
the, the amount of understanding, the technical understanding you need to operate a lot of the newer modes is, um, it's a rabbit hole of information and technology that I don't know that the average person would be interested in. But some people would see that like you. Mm-hmm. And and I see this all the time um, with the HRCC staff. Mm-hmm. Man, I, I don't know if there is a brighter group of dudes yeah, <laughs> when it comes sure. to uh, a multitude of interests. Right. Right. But they get into the details. They love the details and they mm-hmm. love the challenge of the technology. So it is kind of what you're dancing around is that it's largely marketing itself. No. Okay. So hams how- need to, hams need to be out there and, and, and getting the, the potential adjacent markets for lack of a better word mm-hmm. also interested okay is that just through i'm here and i like ham radio and also 3d printers that that happens or what does that mean i think I, I mean to- we see we see this in the emails all the time right okay. people who are who go and get their license and then become the person that everybody goes, Oh, he knows how to do ham radio. And you know what? I'm actually interested in that too. But how did they hear about it? How, because those people talk about ham radio, they normalize ham radio. So normalizing ham radio is the, yeah. But I I mean, we've always talked about, no, I know we're we're, we're approaching this. If we're like, to lay out like a five-step plan, for instance, if you were trying to go down that road of how you would get ham radio in front of more people and show it as an interesting thing that they should commit time to, you would say? Oh, I would say if you're a ham radio operator and you have other interests, Mm -hmm. make sure you're taking your ham radio with you. Like you've got to be proud to be a ham radio operator. Right. I think the majority of people in HRCC are proud ham radio oh, operators. Yeah, I think so. um, but I think there's also an element of people who are like, ah, oh, this is kind of like too nerdy or to insert. The self-loathing ham is what you're saying? No, not self-loathing, but uh, people who believe that ham radio wouldn't be interesting to other people. But I guarantee it is interesting to other people. Right. So again, I mean, we've always said like the the best thing you can do is be a good steward of radio. Right. And sometimes that means like, yeah, sometimes you got to be the PR person on the ground. You know who's really good at this on TikTok is uh, he's he's written in before, mm-hmm. but uh, Moon Farm. Yeah. On on TikTok because he has a homestead where he's he does he's become a farmer he actually left his full-time job right. to become a full-time farmer mm-hmm. and he's growing quails and chickens and ducks and microgreens and a full-blown garden but mixed in with all of that farm content which is much Adjacent. more mainstream right. than the ham radio content he's also inserting ham radio content right and 
that's kind of the thing. It has to be as valid a hobby to you as any of your other hobbies. And you have to assume that people would be interested in it. That's kind of like it would be ridiculous that you would be crazy not to enjoy ham radio. Right, right. So here's there's a there's a topic that comes up all the time. And I have very particular thoughts about it. One of the things that, you know, the ARRL and many clubs, they view getting into schools as the way to grow ham radio. No, you need to get into reality TV. Okay. Okay. But they view, <laughs> it, it's almost like, and I, I hate I hate to say this, but this is what it always comes off to me as. It comes across as like cigarette companies, like hooking a brand into kids early. So that later, when they are of age and have more money or whatever, that they look back at that brand fondly and go, that's the that's the brand for me. Well, uh, and you and I are similar in this, in that when we approach something, we don't think about how this is going to serve our agenda. It's how can this help other people? Okay. Right? And I think what you're touching on is when they're like, how do we hook these young people? It's not about what can we do to help these young people? It is how can we indoctrinate them to help us? And that's the fundamental problem. The question they should be asking if they're trying to get youth into ham radio is, how will this be applicable to their lives or helpful in their lives in the future? Mm -hmm. And it has to be in essence, the building of a skill that will integrate into some kind of industry or career mm-hmm. that will benefit them in the long run. Sure. Like engineering, for instance, right? Right. Right. I think so. Um, I don't know that many hams are capable of making that jump, though. I'm not trying to sell ham short here, but... I don't know that that's an adjacent. Again, that is an adjacent skill set. Engineers who are also hams. That's not all hams. But that's kind of the other thing. The intensity at which the gatekeeping happens in the hobby is hugely detrimental. Yeah. Because you have to step away from saying the hobby is only important if you're going to be proficient in X, Y, Z modes mm. or or so on. And all it's, other modes are, are the death of ham radio. It is a communication method. Right. And you have to step back and look at it. And the communication method that you're using is the one that is the best for the location that you're in. Or your your competency. Sure. Right. Sure. And there's nothing wrong with really doing all the things ham radio as a hobby and getting deep into that. Every any interest has the people who are hardcore, highly proficient. Of course. And those people are the ones that a lot of people will aspire to. Right? But uh, then sure. but then you have to be okay with the people who just want to use it for communication or, or want to use it. We just want to go uh, over landing in our four-wheel drives. Right. We just want to go camping. And we're probably going to have bad cell phone when we're out Yeah, there. and that has to be okay. Uh, yeah, well, sure. So I, I guess what you're saying is that 
technically the terms need no branding right changes it's really everybody that's already in that uh that orbit of ham radio yeah how they conduct themselves right because they're all brand ambassadors at the end of the day well that's you know one of the first uh tiktok videos i made for the ham tactical account was what i thought ham radio looked like and what ham radio actually looks like today right and how right? that go um it, it was fine i mean my sat suit video did much better because it's a little spooky <laughs> right? throw a, an astronaut looking thing out into the uh right out of the atmosphere to inevitably burn up <laughs> well, I I think there was this element of there's kids' voices being broadcast into in, a thing that's eventually going to burn up in the atmosphere. Well, something that looks like a man floating in space. That's uh, kind of scary. Yeah. Uh, but the for me, mm-hmm. what ham radio actually looks like, and and it is the same things that I find um, interesting is, you know, it's soda. It's actually being outdoors mm-hmm. with the ham radio. It is uh, helping in an emergency. Mm-hmm. Um, it is general preparedness, right? So I- I'm probably never going to be the rabbit hole ham that you are. Right. Right. And I don't assume you will be either. That's and, not selling you short or anything. I just don't yeah. think that, you know, that doesn't line up with where you're at right now. Right. But for me, ham radio does have a place. I value it. Mm-hmm. Right. I, I even, even if you weren't running ham radio crash course, it would be a part of the things that I would do to prepare because I don't believe that our comms that we use in our everyday life are reliable. Right. It it sounds on. I mean, I I think that's the, <laughs> I think that's really the the key point, and and you, I think you've you've said it really well that growing ham radio isn't necessarily about the new whiz bang way to brand it. It's about introspection of the people that are already a part of it, and I don't know that that's happening. I think people are trying to figure out ways that they can shortcut new people joining the hobby. And that's not really what it takes. It takes getting information to people that are curious in a way that they don't feel like they don't belong. Right. And that requires your the people that are the whiz-bang experts to not behave that way. <laughs> that they would make someone feel as though they don't belong. Well, it's not... okay. So I don't think it's that hams, all hams make people feel like they don't belong. Oh, and I didn't say that. Um, you know I didn't say that. Right, right, right. right. <laughs> but I'm, I'm saying even the very technologically advanced hams, I, I think it's important to not make it feel like it's unattainable. Well, okay. Yeah. I mean, throwing all things on the table, not, sure. Not, it's, it's not this only this purposeful gatekeeping. I mean, the the grumpy OM who derides somebody for not knowing better about something. That's that almost just, become a trope at this point, right? Yeah, but it exists because I'm yeah. in a lot of other ham radio groups to kind of just see what's what everybody's talking about. Mm-hmm. And 
HRCC is so special in this way right? that the amount of patience in Elmering is so considerate, right? Right. Um, but I there's mean, also this element of this is so complicated, I don't even want to touch it. Sure. There's... Okay, so that's a good point, too, is that there should be some kind of gradual path that that you can point somebody on. Yeah. And have them learn. And, I mean, theoretically, the licenses are supposed to be that. Mm -hmm. But having taken the technician exam and passed it and now studying for the general, I, I don't feel like the information in the exams actually helps you with the operations. Well, okay. People have brought that you know, right? it, I mean, criticism if it, up. I could pass the, the general exam and really still not know the easiest way to communicate with somebody. And I think a lot of that um, is being bridged by software and technology advancements. Um, up to a point, but I think also that those technologies speak to the language that those people speak. Computer stuff. They already are IT indoctrinated, if you will. That, you know, one of the reasons I think that ham study has done such a fantastic job mm -hmm. is the user interface mm -hmm. is, uh, it's so easy to use. Right. And that's that's really not the case with the vast majority of other ham radio related software, hardware, or mm -hmm. anything. Interesting, right? The, there needs to be a shift in the technology, also, and I'm sure people are there are going to be some people who don't like this the same way they don't like the removal of the CW code requirement. But you have to go from what like command prompt dos is to what windows is today windows 10 or not even windows like a an an apple ios on a phone right oh yeah that's yeah, what's what gonna saying. bridge like the evolution. gap yeah. yeah well sure um th there are certain controls though in modern radios that you wouldn't want to necessarily make like just a phone app well, you could replicate some of that i'm not but. talking about an app but I'm, I'm talking about the user interface because okay now i i've taken the test i get what i should and should not do but the path to actual connection and you know, actually the baofeng's not bad at this between baofeng and chirp but i think it's also very stupid that chirp not that intuitive right okay and then that has to be linked with the Baofeng and out the box you wouldn't know about Chirp. Right. Right. You literally need somebody to tell you, oh, do not. Do not do what you are doing individually programming these stations. I'm going to rock your world with Chirp right now. Right, right, <laughs> right? right. But then you go to Chirp and even Chirp needs an explanation. Whereas if if the GUIs were easier mm -hmm. or or something ab about the designs of the products 
would be easier to align. Mm-hmm. Because there's also this trickiness where as a tech or a general, you have to stay within certain bands. And if you don't, now you're breaking the law. That's also very intimidating. Right, right, right. Well, I I don't know that's going to change. That's definitely not the topic of today, but Right, but I'm and I'm not I mean, saying can, change the law. It as a criticism, yeah. I'm saying, "Hey, equipment manufacturers and software makers, mm-hmm. like how am I not just able to say this is where I am. This is my my code mm-hmm. uh, like or my license class and I'm going to plug that into my radio and it's going to populate only the bands I'm allowed to transmit on. So I'm not having to worry about transmitting on the wrong bands. Trip does that. But again, it's a multi-step process. Sure. We're out the box. Well, I mean, China don't care, though. China's, I mean, sure. Baofeng is China, right? Hey, Ray Novak. <laughs> I have a product idea for you. <laughs> well, I mean, but ICOM has software, right, for programming your radios. Multiple people have software right, but that's like, actually think about, intuitive uh, to use. Think about opening it out of the box and not having to piecemeal together something. All of those things require expertise. Oh, but that's D-Star in a nutshell. I mean, Ray would come back and say, well, that's D-Star in a nutshell. You can You can use its GPS to tell you exactly where it is, and it will pull the closest repeater to you. That's, I mean, it's built to do that. Will it do it out the box? Yeah. Without me having to have any... So I'd have to use D-Star. But if that's It's not what just D- D-Star. It does analog repeaters, too. Okay, but... It, so then it's... It, it, it's also a marketing thing, then. Yes. Well, okay. I mean, like, l- let's go back to the school. Okay, you know what? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pause. I'm going to have to try D-Star. Okay. Okay, before I say that, but D Star is also not anything that a brand new technician is like. Oh yes, this sounds like something very easy to use. I have I have literally heard D Star so many times, and I've been like, oh, that's probably too much for me to. <laughs> to Got the word star in it. <laughs> I don't know what the D stands for. So going back to the, I mean, let's bring it back to the school thing for a second. I've always felt that like if you if so let's play the game of like how many people can we indoctrinate's a wrong word but get ham radio in front of right Mm -hmm. schools always seem like kind of a low target environment there's there's only so many kids you're going to get in front of that that will give you the patience and time for you to have a connection for like hey this is what it is you know, whatever. Or Boy know, Scouts. Boy do you Scouts. know why Dude, I Boy think Scouts. school is a very poor, like just a broad across the board, introducing it in schools is a bad call? So my personal feeling is it's much too much effort to be able to even get through the front door and get in front of the kids before you even were to make a positive impact. Oh, no, that's for me, that's not it as, uh, at all. Um there's no bandwidth in the schools, first of all. Okay. But everything I know about extracurriculars for kids, because I live it right now, mm-hmm. 
is that it takes a ton of parental involvement. Okay. That and was the other, yeah. you do not have somebody in your household that already knows how to do these things, and there is no parent with the bandwidth or or interest in learning it or vested, like, I'll, now, I'll talk about this right now. We'll, we'll caveat, let me caveat this. There are some kids that will do this on their own. Some sure. super brainy kids that this is like how their mind works. They may not need anyone's help to find ham radio necessarily. Right. They might just need a little nudge in the right direction. Mm-hmm. So for those kids, sure. But I think you're talking about a broader spectrum. Okay, like let's let's talk about kung fu. Ben's in kung fu. Kung fu. Okay. Okay. Mm-hmm. Ben wants to do kung fu. Lots of kids want to do kung fu. Do you know what it takes to actually get belts? I mean, I am literally you gotta beat up a kid. No, I mean, that is part of it. They do. <laughs> sparring is normally a part kidding. of. No, sparring is normally a part of the belt test. <coughs> okay. But Ben and I are doing twice a day practices for him to meet his belt deadline. Mm-hmm. Right. And I'm saying I had to learn Kung Fu forms because my family has a history of knowing Kung Fu. And that is very close for me what culturally. It's so it's important to me. I never learned Kung Fu myself, but now I am learning alongside him so I can correct his forms. Mm-hmm. And and I and I liken it to Kung Fu because the his Kung Fu instructor, who was like a, a northern China Shaolin instructor, because there's different variations sure. of Kung Fu, right? Right. She will not allow you to video a um, her instruction, right? And so she does the instruction. She will she will give you tips at every class, and and you can she'll give you feedback at each lesson, mm-hmm. right? But otherwise, without her, you are lost. Okay, you've lost me a little bit. Okay, well, it's, it's not it's not that different from ham radio. A, a new person who comes to ham radio. I mean, but I mean, that's what entirely YouTube is. All my videos are recordings of me doing ham radio. Sure, sure, but like, where do you start? Like, one of the values that uh, the kung fu instructor provides is that, well, at the point you are right now, this is what you need to learn. Okay. Right. And then you're going to go through this form, but it's not linear, right? Because he, like Ben learned first fist, then he learned Tantwe, which is a totally different form set. Then he he actually learned Tantwe 2 before he learned Tantwe 1. And then he um, learned Tantwe 5. So he hasn't learned 1, 3, or 4. If you were new to Kung Fu, how would you know that you weren't supposed to go first fist, second fist, Tantoi 1, Tantoi 2, Tantoi 3, Tantoi 4, Tantoi 5? Because I have YouTube playlists on my channel that have intro to ham radio on it, right? I, I'm not attacking you as I'm a not, ham I'm radio. I'm not defending myself either. And, I'm just yeah. saying that like in your example, that is also a small target rich environment, right? The 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 targets that the kung fu teacher can engage with is a scant few and there's direct instruction that has to go into right right 
But everybody in ham radio is looking for an Elmer because the the sheer quantity of information is overwhelming. Well, then maybe that's the problem is that they're looking for someone to hold their hand. Maybe the solution is to encourage a feeling of personal discovery and going through an experimentation because technically that is what ham radio is supposed to be. I, I do not think that that is the society that we're living in now. And I think you're seeing that based off of the fact that people are willing to pay for services like ham radio prep instead of going down a free service like ham study. People want their hands held. Not everyone. I'm not saying everybody. Mm-hmm. But if you look at society as a whole, they want their hands held. They want to know that there is, one, a safety net, mm-hmm. right? They also want to know that the best practices, right? They want to know what the right progression of things to learn is. Okay. We have we have shifted from a society where it was like, okay, you go to school, go out into the world and do your job. We are now a, you need a, to structure everything based on historical best practices and knowledge to build upon it. This is almost going back to how the baby boomers went to school then. This is like how the baby boomers learned things. Like yeah. literally what you're saying. You're you're saying that And that's interesting because re- there were a back. lot of ham radio operators in the baby boomer generation. No, I know, but that's what I find so interesting about what you're saying is that the the concept of of hand holding right yes i think only has merit i feel like hand holding is also such a negative term when in reality what you're really looking for is a village of knowledge we went through a period of time where everybody kind of just did their own thing. And mm-hmm. I'm not talking about just in ham radio, but in everything. We see this in motherhood, too. People talk about this all the time. Mm-hmm. It used to be a village raising kids where everybody kind of put in their input and helped out with various things to help households run. That's everything from multi-generational homes to small communities, right? Mm-hmm. And then it was, no, we're all too busy every everybody for themselves, mm-hmm. right? And pull, this is the wrong phrase, but I can't find a better one right now. It's kind of late um, and I'm getting tired, but pull yourself up by your bootstraps and figure it, figure it the F out, right? Okay, okay. And, um, and so now motherhood has become very lonely because you're kind of like doing it all on your own and you're expected to be your own base of knowledge and do your own research. And then it becomes offensive when somebody suggests something to you. Um, it makes it sound like you're Implying doing it understand, wrong. Right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. And now we're getting back to a point where people are like forming tribes online. Mm-hmm. And then taking the information only from those they trust, right? Okay. They have um, certain things that they're like, oh, you like this and I like this and you like this and I like this. So I'm going to trust what you, that is influencers in a nutshell. Right. Influencer communities, right? And now those are the tribes. Well, okay. So I guess 
in in what I last said, I was saying, yeah, go forward and try. There must be some try if you can't have the expert in the room with you. Sure. Of course. So, yes, I agree. There must be the community built around that. And we already talked about the Hammer to Crash Course Facebook community, the Discord, all those things. And there right? are ham clubs and all of yeah, those Yeah, and things. not just Hammer to Crash Course. There's so many clubs that you should be involved with. But there is a huge disconnection from the expert in the room in today's society. Mm-hmm. That is true. Mm-hmm. But that also means that the individual then has to have a little bit more bravado with moving forward. Well, then you're asking society to shift in a way that is old versus the way that society is moving. Mm, I, I feel like you cannot. I mean, but, but that, that goes to that goes back to your mother's comment. If truly you're mothering in isolation, then there are some things. Well, that now are going we're to not. I, I would say that no, but the community can never respond if it's online. Never as fast as a situation at hand. I totally disagree with that. In fact, I think that having a, a community like mom groups and stuff like that provides you with information instantaneously. Not necessarily. If you make a post and then you wait like ten minutes and your kids like you're freaked out about your kid. It's not like freaked out enough to call the hospital, but you're like, what's going on? Oh, my God. If if you've ever been in a mom group and you have posted something that was like, I am worried about my kid about this, mm-hmm. you don't even wait 10 minutes. The moms rally. <laughs> okay. Are the hams rallying, Leah? I think so. I've seen it in HRCC. I've seen it. What? Hams seem to not be willing to do, and this is true of any internet forum about any topic, is like flat out ignorance and like a a let me Google it for you moment, right? Oh, okay. Sure, 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 sure. They don't like that. Right, if you're just completely not willing to do anything. Right, but, well, but I think but we've also, also that's also taken a little bit on your own personal responsibility. Of course, it has to be a two-way road to a. Two-way yeah, I, I'm not saying that you get an Elmer and the Elmer does everything for you. Well, kind of. I mean, that's kind of what you're saying. That's that's not what I'm saying, and I think we've talked about the badge system before. Okay. That there is a path to badges. I talked to to some people. And I think that that is actually the way. If somebody goes, oh, well, I'd really like to get into ham radio. It's like, well, look at this universally embraced path, Mm -hmm. right? Because the same way Boy Scouts um, and Cub Scouts takes this monolith of preparedness and breaks it down by age mm-hmm. in baby steps right is how there is now an entire even adult population mm-hmm. that has learned self-sufficiency right no matter where they live cities suburbs countries like or countrysides to this road of self-reliance and this attitude of self-reliance Right. But the other thing people really want is something measurable. 
they to want to see their progress. Yes. Well, I mean, the, the progress also could be the license, right? I have my license. I have not contacted the ISS yet. Well, pick yourself up by the bootstraps. And right. I could. I could. But, but you don't, you don't want to or what? You well, know, you know, the only thing that can make a ham radio operator look more sexy is a sash with, a sash with badges on it. <laughs> I think that would be the the real icing on the cake for the guy or or woman that has a, a radio on their belt, right? But like, here's the thing: <coughs> people have contacted the ISS before. You've contacted the ISS before. Do I spin my wheels trying through trial and error to try to make contact with the ISS? Mm-hmm. Or do I sit down with you, somebody who knows how to do it? Sure. And go through the steps you have laid out and learn along the way. But, but I'm the adjacent expert in this situation. Yeah. Versus, again, going back to no expert, no frame of reference, no experience. Okay. Getting so that I, individual. I think the agreement. other element of this is people also have a distrust of what's being put on the internet. You have to trust your source. Okay. Right. So if I didn't have you Mm -hmm. and I was getting into the ISS, I would probably hop onto YouTube, Google a few videos about it. Mm -hmm. And if they all had widely varying information on how to do it, I might get a little frustrated I could push through. I haven't done any of this yet right now because I right. just haven't had the time to right. set everything up. There's tons of components to get in line before even trying to do it. Yes. Right? And so that's why I'm saying it's a combination of the ease of the hardware and software and the availability of the information that is that you can trust. Sure. Right? And I, I get it that those are two hard things to access when you're talking about what is, in essence, being decentralized. Right, because you can't have a standardized GUI. You can't have standardized right, hardware. Right, It's kind of like <laughs> how I always say... the point of it, right? Th- that's, it's kind of like how I say that like libertarians, despite the fact that the vast majority of people probably support the libertarian perspective will likely never become the third party because by its very essence, it doesn't want to take any power. Right? Right. Like you, there is nobody who's going to to be... remove power. Yeah, there's nobody who is going to throw a ton of cash at a political party that is saying, we will take your money so that we will give you no say in the government. <laughs> you know? Right. In fact, we will we will try and destructure the government to, right, to make right. it less powerful. Right. That's, so I that's understand, our primary goal. I understand the dichotomy. I think there is a way. Very good. All right. I, I think that's I think that's probably good. I mean, there's not a way for libertarians. Like, just fundamentally, you just can't do it. But for ham radio, I think well, there I think is can, a way to decrease the power of the government from where we are right now. That you should can, always be a goal. You can decrease, here. but in terms of the Libertarian Party becoming a viable third party, 
it cannot happen because you are essentially taking people whose fundamental theology is to not take power for them to have to try to take power and then nerf it. Right? Like, I want to take that power and I want to give it back to the people. Yeah. Yeah. But I think for ham radio, there is a way to one, make the hardware and software more accessible and also make the the path to proficiency at whatever level you want it to be um, more readily available and understandable. Mm-hmm. I think, I mean, obviously I think you've done a good job with HRCC. I'm not, I'm not saying not good you're enough, just though, not, what, you're yeah, and what you've done is garbage. <laughs> Somebody else needs to come here. I think you've done a really good job um, with that, but it it does it does lack a bit of um, uniformity, I guess right. I would say. Yeah. Well, because it's you are not the end all be all voice no. in ham radio. No, 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 and and, and nor should be. you be. Right, right, yeah. Nothing. But you you've got um, and this is a weird analogy to pull, but you've got a very like MCU vibe to what you're saying. Am I Cap or am I Tony Stark? No, I think you're oh. John Favreau right now. Oh, I think you're weaving the <laughs> fabric I really of love a larger it. MCU kind yes. of situation right mm-hmm. here. I think that's what you're kind of trying to say. Is yes, that- I'm going to connect all of the different ham radio superheroes into a grander plot of love for ham radio. <laughs> Because Even of, though I have no desire to be a superhero. <laughs> I just want to fly around in the plane. It, it's it, it's a really interesting point. I, I think that the tried and true paths to bring people into the hobby, I think, are no longer tried and true. The get into schools concept. I think that is a I think that's not the way to go. I mean, I think you can get in the get into schools is not bad. But I don't think it's, it's just, just... It's low yield. The, the effort that you will put forward to do it is going to yield very small dividends on the okay. back end. So if you do want to reach youth, right, and do it in what is a low effort, maximum exposure way, mm-hmm. there are things like outschool. OutSchool, uh, we, we use it a lot for um, coding classes for the kids or certain special interests. Like the kids are in a Pokemon life sciences class in the summer. As one does, yes. Yeah. <laughs> but OutSchool limits the age range of the students to 18 and under. And then you can create courses that people can sign up for, Right. Um, and they, and they can be stacked courses. Like right now, I want to say Ben is in Cody Rocky Two, which uses the same robot as he did in his first coding class, mm-hmm. but now more advanced projects. Okay, right. And if you were to take the concept of um, radio frequencies and how they would be used in modern day technology. And then tie in ham radio as 
a, one of the core competencies to understand it, then you're serving those students versus uh, basically using them as bodies to fill your hobby. Interesting. So a larger scale concept of what radio is, how it works, and you're almost using the ham radio as the demonstration piece. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. I think that would, uh, I think that's a good point. Speaking of that, I'll be doing that this weekend. Great. <laughs> All right. I think we have, uh, we've definitely talked about this point to a point that I think we can probably right. pause I, here. Yeah. I think we're probably going to get some good emails on this topic, actually. Maybe. Next if they, week's if show you is stuck it be, out this long. Next week's show is going to be a long one. I can, I can already kind of feel it in my bones. It's like a storm coming. My my joints are aching already. Maybe next week is a two episode week. Oh my god! I don't know that we can. I don't know that we can do that. You'll have to give me the play by play by how big the inbox is. I think. Well, no. Maybe we do the regular Thursday podcast and then we do a bonus Sunday to get through. Oh my gosh! Sunday's a big day, man. We always have a lot planned on Sunday. I don't know that we can do that. I don't know. Okay. We'll scratch that. We'll figure it out. We'll figure something out. <laughs> Anyways, uh, thank you for listening to the podcast. We have a lot of fun making it. And the fact you listen all the way to the end uh, and send us feedback means a lot to us. I am Josh, K-I-6-N-A-Z. And I'm Leah, K-N-6-N-W-Z. And we really appreciate you watching. Or, God, watching. See, I always have that. I can't get They're the just videos. staring at the screen mm-hmm. that voices are coming They're out of, but the picture the, the doesn't move. Of the, yeah. As always, 73. 73.